What's up, guys? Doug Polk here, and welcome back for another episode of the Doug Polk Podcast. We have a doubleheader podcast this week. Yesterday, we were joined by Kane Callis, and today we are joined by Dan Bulzerian. I'm sure you guys know him from Instagram or Twitter or poker. Been all over the place for years now. Will be a lot of great conversations for us to talk about. We now bring in today's guest, Dan. Thank you for joining us. Yep. Thanks appreciate appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast. Yeah, no, I think this would be good. I want to, uh, you know, clear some things up. I feel like, um, you know, a lot of your videos misrepresented, um, you know, what I said and mischaracterized it. And, um, you know, you talked to Bill and you said to him, when I report a story, I report it with the facts and a fair interpretation of the facts. That is different than a completely accurate depiction of all events that have occurred, as I am not, it, as it is not possible for me to launch into a thousand investigations to determine the truth every year. I report the facts accurately and was fair in my assessment of likely events. So, you know, I just fundamentally disagree with that. Um, and I would be willing to bet you a million bucks we could have an arbitrator or a panel arbitrator's watch the videos and determine whether or not they agree with what you said. I would bet that they would not, but you know, that's a open offer. Okay. Well, you're coming out of the gate strong here, firing off a million dollar bet on uh, something that I was talking with Bill about. I didn't even realize that Bill was sending you those texts so that we were going to be talking about them today, but you know, here we are. So uh, let's, let's just take a, a step back and talk big picture about the content that I've made. Uh, obviously, I've covered you in a, a variety of my videos, and I think overwhelmingly, my content has been both fair and accurate. And additionally, there are parts that are funny, but if you look at the content of what I said, it is fairly accurate. And the video that I think is most important is the video that did something like, it's, it's the most viewed video on this subject. I think it has something between 1.52 million views. And in that video, I gave an extremely fair depiction of you where I said, that it's essentially, I'm paraphrasing, but I essentially said that it's unlikely all of your money came from poker. However, it is possible, and you have likely won money in poker because you have played in a lot of soft high-stakes games. And then in a Twitter conversation a few few years back, you sort of misquoted me again. I feel like you've kind of constantly misquoted me on this issue, so maybe we can get to the bottom of why you think I've said some of these things, and we can pinpoint the issues. I, I just feel like, you know, listen, you're you know, you have a right to have your opinion and, and whatever. And that's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about more how you've misrepresented what I've said. Um, I mean, I downloaded or I shared a video, if you want to play it, of, you know, your interpretation of my answer to Joe Rogan. Um, and I think that's a, you know, you, you've also, I think, deleted some videos that you've previously posted. So when we had our conversation yesterday, you said, you know, if there was videos, you know, that I had issue with, you know, to bring that up or whatever. And I looked online and I only found, you know, two or three videos where you mentioned me. So I think you've since deleted those, but no, um, that's incorrect. I've not deleted any of my content. Okay. I mean, the, the ones that I found, I mean, I, there's at least two that are pretty egregious in my opinion. And like I said, I'd be willing to bet um, on an impartial third party's opinion of those because, you know, you, you take what I said and you chop it up. It's like if I asked you, you know, did you rape a 14 year old boy? And in the interview, you said, you know, oh, no, I did not. 
And then I take a later part of the interview where you said something completely different and then splice it in there. Obviously, that would be misrepresenting, you know, what you said. And I feel like you did the same thing with the Joe Rogan, where, listen, you can comment whatever you want. You can have your opinion. But my issue is with how you misrepresented what I answered um, in that interview. And I've got, you know, like I said, I downloaded the video. If you want to play it, you can see your video versus my actual answer to Joe Rogan. Um, and it's completely different. Um, what I said, you know, didn't have the 15 mumbling and the stuttering and then, you know, cut to your interjection and then cut to this and cut to that and then cut to Joe's reaction to something else that I said in the video. You're basically making me look like a liar and look like, I'm, you know, unprepared to answer the question and that I'm being, um, you know, that I'm misrepresenting, you know, the truth. And so, you know, I'm sure that fits your narrative and that's great for you, but that's, you know, in my opinion, that's dishonest and that's an, you know, unfair um, depiction of the facts. So that's where I have the biggest issue. It's not what you think of my poker or whether or not you think that I got my money from a trust fund. It's how you misrepresented my answers in interviews to fit your narrative. I, I think that what you're referring to there are jokes. No, it's not a joke. When you cut up my, my answer, and you cut it up to where it makes it sound like I'm not being truthful or like I'm stuttering or like I don't know what I want to say. That's you mischaracterizing and misrepresenting what I'm saying. And so that's that's not a joke. You can say whatever you want. But when you're chopping up my answer to make it fit your narrative, that's you misleading your audience. And I think that's you know pretty egregious, to be honest. Well, I, I think my audience knows that I'm poking fun at the subject. And in the scenario that you're talking about, when I show you stuttering and saying, um, it's as a joke that you were confused on the issue because you did stutter some. We obviously we embellished it to make it funny. But that's um, the point of what we're doing. If you want to pull up the video, we can pull it up. Yeah, it's on there. All right, let's go for it. Add this to stream. Well, Dan Bolzarian. How did you get all your... Let's see here. Okay. Let's watch the video in question. Let's talk about Dan Bolzarian. How did you get all your money originally? Um, so that's another... Fuck, I mean, I... Um, yeah, it's like a weird thing. Um, so, I mean... Uh, I didn't really talk about it or, or say anything about it. That was a great answer. What are we talking about again? There's just a lot of things in gambling that... You so, to, to talk about that part first... Those were all part of your response when he asked you how you made all your money. I mean, it's we a three it's a three hour interview. If you want to chop up my answers all over the place, I mean, I have the original video. So, if you want to, if you want to see my original answer to Joe, right? But those those clips all happened over the span of two or three minutes as part of your response to Joe when he asked you how you got your money. Correct? It's not like I took a. It's not like well, it was like, about the. You're cutting his reaction to something else. I mean, here it is. I, I've uploaded the the actual Joe Rogan interview right here. How did you get all your money originally? Um, so that's another common misconception. Um, and I didn't really, uh, I didn't really talk about it or or say anything about it just because it helped me out so much in poker. Um, but everybody just thought that I was, you know, a rich trust fund idiot. Um, and then my parents gave me all my money. So that actually allowed me to get into a lot of these poker games. Um, cause they thought you were a fish. Yeah. It's like a weird thing. Um, it's not just that, but 
in poker, I've noticed that if a guy loses money to another guy and he knows that that money is going to help that other guy out or his quality of life is going to be improved by that money, it really fucking irritates him. Like, really? Yeah. It, and I'm guilty of it, too. If I lose $5 million to a billionaire, it doesn't bother me nearly as much as if I lose maybe a couple hundred thousand to some guy that's like pretty broke. And now he goes out and buys a new fucking car with my money. And I'm just like this fucking guy. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's weird. I don't know why. And, it, and it's it's kind of counterintuitive, you know. But another thing about it is like if you lose money to a guy that has a bunch, like you always think that, you know, there's a chance you could win it back, too. So there's that piece of it. Um, if you lose money to a guy that doesn't really have much and he goes out and spends it, well, like you're never getting it back again. Um, yeah, that so. exists in pool. Like a lot of guys don't want to gamble with guys who only have one barrel. Yeah, like, a guy will play a game of pool for a hundred bucks, but he's only got a hundred bucks. But he might have ten thousand. Exactly. Well, so you I'm, look at your. I'm, up I'm trying to understand here because in your response, you do say I'm a bunch and talk about random things that aren't related to having made all your money from poker. Well, so well, how no, is it? It's all completely related. If you listen to the video, I mean, I'm, I'm basically this is the first time that I truly tell people that I made my money from poker, and I say it right in here that as you know, up until that point. I've kind of leaned on the you know whole trust fund thing because it's given me access to games because people will then assume that I have a lot more money and they'll be willing to lose more money to me because of that. So everything that I'm saying here is directly related to the question. And it makes sense if you understand the context, which you took it out of context. And you also added a reaction of Joe where he's like looking at me like I'm full of shit, which didn't happen during this period. So you've like really chopped it up and misrepresented what was actually said in the interview. To, like I said, to fit your narrative, which I find misleading. A couple of different points to make here. The first is that I'm not the editor. You can, we can definitely get Thomas here as well. And but I'm willing to take responsibility for Thomas's work because I always have anyway. Regardless of that, I watched this clip of you and Joe Rogan, and when he asked you, he eventually had to bring it back to asking you again, "Did you make all your money from poker?" And then you said yes because your answer was long-winded and wasn't a part of the original question. So. It actually it, it was it was directly related to the original question. And it was, like I said, the first time that I really kind of, you know, told people that because up until that point, I had really leaned on the trust fund thing because that was what gained me access to a lot of these games. I mean, part of poker is having an image and and understanding how people view that image and understanding how people are going to perceive you at the table and play against you and so on and so forth. So when people ran around saying, oh, he's a trust fund idiot, and I didn't dispute it, and I kind of leaned into it because I did, in fact, have a trust fund. I just didn't have access to it until I was 35. Um, you know, that helped me. And like I said, when I was doing this interview, it was kind of at a crossroads. I was like, pretty much done with poker. So I was okay, just, you know, laying it out there. But up until that point, I hadn't really ever discussed, you know, what my trust fund was. Did I have access to it? Did it affect, you know, my poker, all this stuff. So that's why when he asked me that it took me a second to answer, but it was, you know, my answer was an explanation of why I hadn't just like fully discussed it before. And I think it makes complete sense. But do you not also, it's in the interview. Would you not also say that when he asked you this question, you didn't respond by saying, yes, I've made all my money from poker. You said it's a weird thing. And you talked about a bunch of other stuff before he eventually had to bring it back to asking you again. Did you make all your money from poker? Did that not happen? It did, but it wasn't a bunch of weird stuff. It was stuff directly related to me making my money from poker. And it was you like, said it's I'm, a weird thing. I'm, I'm quoting you. You said it's a weird yeah. thing. And then yeah. you talked about a bunch of other stuff. And then he had to ask you again. So in your answer, me showing a short clip of you talking about other stuff 
and then bring it back to that afterwards is actually accurate in what happened in that conversation. Well, you cut out when I said it's a common misconception. And then I went in to discuss it, um, you know, and the common misconception was that, you know, I had gotten all my money from my trust fund. And so I explained that. So it was, you know, you, you conveniently cut out when I said, well, you know, whatever. And then I said, it's a common misconception. I mean, that was a key piece that you cut out. And then you went to more like, um, and then you cut to a reaction from Joe that was like later in the interview. Dude, I was making a joke because you gave a two minute response to a question. Did you make all your money from poker? That wasn't if you made money from poker or not. So I put together a 10 second clip of funny stuff that was all said in there. And then he had to direct the question back at you. I don't see how that's misrepresenting you. It's it's not. I, I would argue that it is. And, you know, Bill's willing to bet a million dollars as well, you know, that it's misrepresenting the facts and that's not like a fair assessment or whatever. I mean, like I said, I, I'll go by your words. And I would argue that somebody that watched that would say that you are trying to skew your viewers opinion of what I responded with. And, you know, there's other examples of it, too. I mean, you know, there's the GG Poker video where you like chopped up a piece where I was talking about um, a guy that didn't know the poker hand rankings. And somebody had to go out to a gift shop and get the poker hand rankings and bring that to him to show him that a full house beat a flush in a half a million dollar pot at the, you know, Bellagio. And you tried to, like, make that about you where I was talking about you using poker software, which is like ridiculous. And I've got those videos too. Like I said, you've got a habit of misrepresenting what I'm talking about and trying to get it to fit. And what I'm saying is if you're going to be, you know, standing on this pillar of like, Oh, you know, I'm just, you know, interpreting what I, you know, the facts, or I'm just, you know, I'm telling people what my opinion is or whatever. And I'm not, you know, doing anything unethical. I would disagree because, I think, like I said, you're misrepresenting what I'm saying. And I think you're doing it by chopping up my answers. And I think that's, you know, fundamentally pretty fucked up. When you offer to bet me a million dollars, and this is something I see time and time again from people, it's it's a posturing technique. Oh, I'll put a million on it just to be able to say, oh, a million dollars. No, no, I'll legitimately bet you no, that. I, 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 I know that you will. I'm not saying that you won't. But the, the reality is a million dollars is a lot less money to Bill and probably you than it is to me. So really, you're trying to get me to put a million dollars on something that I, I just am not bankrolled to take million dollar profits on someone looking at a video and deciding if they think it's fair or not. I'm, I'm just I mean, not willing to do half a million. I'm, I'm willing to bet on their interpretation of what you said, like literally okay. your words. So you're, you know, like what you texted Bill. I mean, I can, you know, like I said, I, I sent it to you um, or I mean, I can send it to you. I can, you know, read it to you. I did. You know, it's it's what you said. I reported the facts accurately and was fair in my assessment of likely events. I, I just fundamentally disagree with that. I mean, what, what are we going to read my text on the podcast? That's what we're turning this into. Is just no, no, we could, we could re- no, no, for the arbitrator. You, you're talking about the bet, so I'm saying for the arbitrators would read that and then would show them the videos and they could you know determine yeah. you know whether or not they think that's a fair interpretation of the facts. And also in these text messages, I said, you know what? Let's just not let's keep Bill out of this and just keep this about us. And and you fire off with. An immediate text from Bill. Well, I didn't say then, it was from. And, you said you said his name. You said Bill. You said it was from Bill. Did I say that? I you mean, said Bill. Okay. You said Bill and read my text message. And there's, then I mean, there's a lot of bills in the world. I mean, I, you know, it's not like I, I named the guy. I read a text, and and it's just basically you a did statement. name the guy. 
You named him Bill. <laughs> That's there's a name. A, there's fucking 100 million Bills in the world. Whatever. I mean, like the point is, I'm not making this about him. I'm just, you know, giving you an example of your statement. And I'm saying, I don't feel that your statement is accurate. I think that it's misleading. And you're standing on this pillar of like truthfulness. And I, I just think it's bullshit. And let I me think give you, let me give you an exact quote because you're actually in a way doing what you're accusing me of doing because I have done a lot of content with revolving around you and other famous people in poker. And rather than look at the entire body of my work, you're honing in on the little things that you don't like or that you think are, is unfair without looking at some of the things that are certainly fair. And I want to read you an exact quote of something that I said in the most popular video. This is in minute one. People can go to YouTube and they can read this. This is an exact quote. Dan, however, sticks to the story. He made all of his money. And while that seems very unlikely to me, we are never actually going to know for sure because he still does play a lot of high stakes poker and probably has won a lot of money there as well. That is the most popular video in the first minute of my most popular video on you. That is a completely fair statement. So why are we not going to focus on things like that? And we're still going to focus on one video where I made a joke about you saying, um, several times before answering Joe's question. Okay. I mean, it would be like if I went down the street and I, you know, handed 10 bums a hundred dollars and then I ran one over my car and you're like, what? I helped 10 guys out. I said something good. Or like I ate an apple before I had McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't negate, you know, the egregious misrepresentation of what I said. And so to me, it's like, you know, that's that's basically like the pillar that everybody else that's done videos on me has stood on is like you saying that, you know, you don't think that it's possible that I made all my money from poker, which is bullshit because I did. Um, and I can actually pretty much prove all that. So, you know, we could also talk about that. I mean, I can show you I didn't cash in my trust fund till you know, 2019. And my trust fund was not a significant amount of money. It was like a couple million dollars at the time. So, and I bought my jet in 2014, you know, pay cash. So it's like, I had made a shitload of money and you can also talk to, you know, Andrew Robel. He had 5% of every time that I played um, Alec Gores and it was around $40 million I beat him out of. And Andrew Robel can show you that. Cause I, like I said, for coaching me, I gave him 5% of my win. So he knows exactly what I won and lost. And just, just that alone, that's more money than you've made in poker. So like, one guy I did in one year, I made more money than you've made How in your much, whole poker career. And most poker players what, too, by the way. What percentage of that did you have of yourself? Um, it varied. Because you said you I, sold five, but how much did you actually have of yourself? I gave Rick 10% and then he made me, I don't know, Rick probably made me like 30 million back off Not, of Andy Beal. So it was kind of like an even swap there. He made you 30 off Andy Beal? Yeah, I made, uh, no, I got... I got like 10 and a half. He beat him for 42 million in one session. I had 25% of that. And then he beat him on a few other occasions. Maybe it was around like 20 million. But I mean, listen, dude, just between those two guys, like I made $70 million. Like I, I don't think that, you know, and, and, and sorry, and Sam, I beat him for like over 10. So I'm just, those three guys, that's like 70 million fucking dollars. And I don't know a lot of poker players that have made $70 million. So you know, you guys saying that you don't think that I've made a lot of money in poker. Well, I can point to three guys that's more than, you know, you and probably your whole poker crew has made in your whole career. And I did that in a year. So, I mean, you know, and you're saying that I got it from my trust fund. Like I said, I can disprove that as well because I didn't cash my trust fund until 2019. I have the trust documents and the wires. You, you, you constantly misquote me. And we, we had the same argument on Twitter in 2018 where we went back and forth and you just misquoting me on things. I didn't say that. I've never said there's. it's impossible that he made money in poker. It's impossible he's won money in poker. I've not said that at all. 
I've I've had lots of caveats, and I've even said I think that it is likely you won in a lot of the games that you're playing because those stakes are very soft. So why are you misquoting me? And you're you're misquoting me back. You're accusing me of deleting videos. You're accusing me of all this shit I didn't do. And well, then here, here, I I mean here's your quote. I, I don't remember what exactly it was. You you said. Um, and my parents gave me all my money. Where they're they're right there. You said, and my parents gave me all my money. You just cut to what I said, and I said a lot of people think that my parents gave me all my money. And in your video, you said you just cut to where I said my parents gave me all my money, cutting out where I said people think that my parents give me all my money. So once again, you're misquoting me. But hold on, we'll, we're Dan Bolsarian. Here we go. All his money. My parents gave me all my money, so Paul Bilzerian. It's a joke, Dan. That is clearly humor. Then, then you say, hold on. It's clearly a joke. Yeah, it's it's, a weird I mean, it's not um, clearly a joke. It is clearly a joke. I Google and read a name and then put a one-second clip of you saying, my parents gave me all my money. I mean, it's just one more example of a misrepresentation. I said, people think that my parents gave me all my money, and you you cut to where I said, my parents gave me all my money. That that's another okay. clear, egregious misrepresentation of what I said. That's like me saying I did not kill this person, and you fucking cut to I killed this person. I mean, it, it cutting out the knot. I mean, it, that's exactly what you did, and it's fucking total bullshit. Do, do you think that? Let, let me get your take on comedy and jokes in general. Are jokes okay, or they misrepresent people? It depends on what it's talking about. You know, I mean, if it's talking about like something that's serious and that's going to negatively this- affect somebody's representation, you know, their, their reputation and you're misrepresenting what they said, I would say that's not a joke. If you're if you're just, you know, talking shit, then that's a totally different story. But when you're using my quotes and you're chopping up what I said to fit your narrative, that's not a joke. That's you misconstruing, you know, what's been said. So let me just get the facts straight here. You've won how many dollars roughly in poker? 100 million, 70 million, whatever it is, right? Millions I mean, and millions of dollars. Like I said, those those three people, that's 70 okay. million. Okay, 70 million dollars. And you're sitting on 70 million dollars in poker winnings and you're getting upset that a YouTuber that is far more poor and unsuccessful than you is making a joke about where you really got your money and you're upset about that? That doesn't it's even make not, sense. It's not me. about that. It's about you questioning my integrity and you basically making me out to you know be a liar and you, like I said, chopping up things that I've said, it's not about how much money I've made. Look, my whole poker career, I've laughed at people like you that, you know, oh, Dan, it sucks, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm fucking sitting there playing with a bunch of fucking, you know, super rich dudes beating them for fucking tens of millions of dollars while you idiots are grinding out online for fucking scraps. I mean, it's funny to me, like, you know, I laugh at that shit. But what I don't laugh at is when you mischaracterize what I said and you accuse me of being a liar and, and call, you know, call me a fraud or whatever the fuck it is. Like that stuff to me is a lot different than when you're, you know, like saying that I, I don't care if you say that I suck at poker. I've never professed to be the best poker player back when I was playing, I was like one of the best players and because, and, and, and by one of the best players, I was winning the most money and I got people to play bad against me. It's not always about making the exact right move in a situation. It's about whether or not you can exploit somebody and make the most amount of money off of them. So sometimes you have to give up some EV. Sometimes you have to do bad things. If in the future, they're going to stack off for fucking, you know, whatever, 1200 fucking big blinds, a top pair because they don't believe you. I mean, there's like a lot of things in there. There's meta. It's not just about, you know, doing things technically correct. And you always like, you know, you pointed to that session that I played in a fucking 1020, which is like, 
you know, I, I flipped a quarter for $3.6 million before that game. Like, you, you think that I'm going to take a 10, 20 game seriously? We're obviously fucking around. I'm like trying to put people to the test all the time. And so it's like, whatever, man, I don't care. Like, if you want to point to that and be like, oh, Dan sucks at poker because of this. You do session. care. You do no, care, I, obviously. No, you I obviously don't care, care about that. I care about you saying that I'm a liar. That's what I care about. And about you misrepresenting what I'm saying to make me look like a liar. That's what I care Dude. about. That video you're talking about, the 1020 thing, where you're saying, again, this I'm rich, don't care, it's for lots of money or less money or whatever it is. We, I understand that you've made a lot of money in poker or you're rich or whatever, your family's rich, whatever, whatever the situation is. That video took me 60 minutes that I made one day where I analyzed your play while you were playing poker. And I had that, pre, that precursor that I quoted earlier. So that video was not only 100% fair, 100% fair. I'm willing to bet on that video specifically. If you I want have to no bet. issue with that video. That's fine. Okay. I'm just, I, it's just an example. Well, you just did like, have an issue with it. You just did have an issue with it. You said to me that I'm analyzing this video like you fucking care. Well, guess what? When you play poker and people can watch you and we have not gotten to see you and then you're out there claiming to have made infinite piles of money playing, then yes, it is going to reflect on you if you play terrible. And there were a bunch of bad plays in that session. And just because the money doesn't matter to you, it still will reflect back on your poker ability. I, I don't know. What, what do you want from me? To, what, what do you want from me there? What, what, Nobody, what, that that, that okay. one's fine. It's whatever. You're, you're interpreting my, my play at low stakes. It's fine. I mean, I, I don't, that, I'm not bringing that up as being an egregious thing. The, like I said, the mischaracterization of what I've said is the egregious piece. That, that is what I have issue with. Um, I, I don't care if you guys think that I'm a bad player. I've never, like I said, professed to be this great player, but what I've been good at is getting in good spots. And that's one of the things that like the poker community just like cannot seem to wrap their fucking hands around is that the biggest piece of poker is figuring out how to win the most amount of money in the games. And the best way to win the most amount of money is to play against the worst fucking players that guys like you are not going to be able to play against because you've built, you know, this reputation of being a great fucking poker player, which is cool. It's great. You can do training videos, but you can't win big money. So All you right. chose to go down that route. That's fine. Nope. No problem. I chose to go down the route of winning the most amount of money I could possibly win in the shortest period of time. And you know, you know, whatever it's, it is what it is, but you know, that's not what I have issue with. Like I said, I have issue with the mischaracterization of what I said. Let's talk about that route for a second, because a big part of that route is your family. You say you got no money from your dad until you were 35. And even even if we go along with that line of thinking, I'm, I'm not saying that's not true. I'm saying we don't know. The public doesn't know. Right. If that if you did, if you made all your money playing poker and you have a very rich family, you have a story that's extremely credible to get into a lot of these games, right? Because you can say yep. it came from my family. That's a very yep. credible story. In fact, it's so credible that that's why the public today thinks that it's not true you made all your money from poker. And that's why people like me don't think it's true you made all your money from poker because it's an incredibly credible story for someone that is extremely rich to have kids that show up and have a lot of money that it came from them. Obviously, that's a credible story. So yes, when you say and, that that and was your route and, and that was your reason why that's how you made your money, you were focusing on that. Well, most people don't get to have the opportunity to have a rich family and to pretend to be rich and to have that type of background where they can easily get into these games. You talk about my poker ability. The reason I became well-known from poker was because I had to build myself online playing poker. I was under 21 when I started my career as I, as I came up in the stakes. I didn't have an opportunity to get into games because my family was rich 
where I could beat idiots for lots of money. I had to actually earn it by playing extremely fucking tough people. And you can laugh at me for the scraps I played for. I'm really fucking proud of my history in poker. I beat all of the best players. I played the absolute peak of the game and I really mastered my craft. Yeah, I didn't have a rich family that got me into private games so I could make millions of dollars. I'm okay with that. And I'm not here to try and prove people that I have millions of dollars. Yeah. I mean, I got into private games, you know, before that, like I got into Nick Cassavetti's game because I was splashing around and I was playing, you know, super loose at the, uh, at the Bellagio. And that's how I got into the game. Not because he thought that, you know, I had, you know, trust fund money, but whatever, you know, look, you use what you got to do to get into these games. You know, some of it's, you know, maybe you play looser than, you know, you should, maybe you give more action, whatever, but there's a lot of different ways. One thing that I never did was try and make everybody think that I was good. In fact, I did the exact opposite because I felt like it helped out and it did. I got way more action. You can talk to guys like Andrew Robel. I mean, he's like, you know, one of the more credible guys, I think, in the poker world. I mean, he's done tons of business. He's won a shitload of money. And he's been there with me since fucking, I don't know, 2006. He's seen me playing at, you know, the block. He's watched me win, you know, monstrous amounts of money from bad players over and over and over again. And he even did a vignette in my book talking about that. You know, Antonio Esfandiari, you know, JRB. I mean, any of these guys, you can ask them. Um, Rick Solomon, they've all seen me win tons of money. I mean, I used to run a game. I mean, fuck, I got tipped $100,000 a night, at least in my games, you know, and I got to, you know, take pieces of good players. I mean, there's a million ways to make money in poker. And I made a shitload of money in poker. Um, I just didn't do it the traditional way. Well, apparently there's not a shitload of ways to make money because we, you've insulted all the online people who, who came up in those streets. I and came basically. up online. That's how I started. Yeah. Playing. I was playing on party poker, Bodog, all that shit. I mean, you it, did well. Did you win on those sites? Yes, I did. I was, I think, the biggest winner in Bodog's history. I won 400000 in one month playing Bodog at 1020, where the max buy in was $2,000 and you could only play three tables. I won 400000 in one month on that site. And this was like back in fucking 2007 or eight. Did you win money on party poker? Um, I don't remember if I was a net. I, I, I didn't think I played much party poker. I played more on Bodog because they had a sports book and people would wander in there from the sports book and just fucking blow their money in the poker room. Like I was always looking for the angle. I wasn't trying to play against the best players all the time. So that's 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 fine. But right now we're talking about 400K, which is only 200 buy-ins online. That's really not that many buy-ins. So I'm trying to figure out where the rest of these in online one, winnings came one from. One month of only playing three tables where the max buy-in is $2,000, winning 400K is a lot. Yeah, but dude, we're talking about 400K. That's not how you built – that's not how you got to where you were today. That's not crushing I mean, online. That's, that's one month. It, that's one month. So, I mean, if you extrapolate that out, that actually is a lot of fucking money. in in the po- For a 10-20 player to be winning $5 million a year – on average, that's a lot of fucking money. You show me a 1020 player that wins five million dollars a year. Okay, but you didn't win five million dollars a year. You won four hundred K. I'm just saying that was one month. I had I had I had weeks where I would win, you know, eighty thousand dollars playing five ten heads up. So I mean, like I, I had big fucking wins on that site, like in for small stakes, because they didn't have big stakes at the time. So I came up online. Like you didn't that, come up online, you had one month on Bovada. That's, no, I, I played for years online. Okay, where, in fact, that's primarily where, where I fucking played. Where else did you play? What screen names? How much did you win? Let's get some kind of facts going here. I mean, Blitzforce was my screen name on um, on Bodog, and I fucking won money on that site for sure. Okay, four hundred k. But you're saying you played for years? That was one won- month. I'm just saying that was that was like my biggest month on there was four hundred k, and that's like when I dropped out of college, and then I was playing more live at Bellagio. But I like during my college, I was playing a shitload on party poker. I was playing on poker stars. I was playing on Bodog. I was playing on all the sites. So like, 
that was in college primarily where you had to play. I'm not trying to nitpick here, but I think it's important for the sake of this discussion. When you say you played for years online and you reference one month on one site as we won 400K, that is a good month, obviously, for those stakes on that site. But we have to look at month. We have to look at the entire. Anybody won more than that on Bodog? For one month, it's totally possible. I don't know what the records are for Bovada, but we have to look at the entirety of your work online. When you were saying that you you played online, you won online. Did you win on any other sites over that time period? How much money did you win online over what period of time? Give me some estimates here. You're asking me what I won in 2005. That's that's almost 20 fucking years ago. Like I don't remember exactly what my stats were. 20. I mean, what what were you doing 20 years ago? Like, can I, you, like, I mean, I was in high school. I was a freshman in high school. I just moved from Las Vegas to North Carolina. Yeah, I mean, so like, but could you have told me like, you know, what you fucking ate for lunch? On you know what I mean? Like, I don't remember. I'm not asking what you ate for lunch. I'm asking for estimates on how long you played online. And how much you won. That's not that hard. I, I played online from 2003 until probably 2008-ish. Yeah. Okay, so, so five years online. And how much did yeah. you win over that time? I don't remember what the wins were over that period of time. But it was, you know, because it, it, I was playing live. I was playing online. I was, I was flying into like, you know, when they had the PCA, I was playing in the Bahamas. We were playing on a yacht. I was playing Eddie Ting's game. I, you know, I got into um, Nick Cassavetti's game. So I was like bouncing around and I don't remember exactly what I was winning, you know, on each thing. I mean, like I said, it's 20 fucking years ago. I remember like ballparks of like what I would win per year, but I don't remember, you know, how much of it was on this site. How much was it at Nick's you- game? I mean, it, and it would ebb and flow. I would have, you know, winning and losing months. So you can't ballpark online. All you remember is your one month you had in Bovada. Everything else, we it's just not don't Bo- know. It's, it's Bodog. It's the I same. Mean, Bodog is Bovada. It changed names. But it, okay. Bodog then, yeah. It's the same. Yeah, thing. I mean, look, all, all, all I'm saying is that I had the fucking biggest month in, I think, Bodog's history at the time. And I remember sitting at tables with like 40 fucking $50,000 at a 2K buy-in and everybody's just like, what the fuck? And people would play bad against me. I remember people had like, I, I would see their like notes on me. And so people would just play really bad. I would get, you know, a bunch of fucking action. And, you know, it was a little bit swingy. But at the time, people weren't playing loose aggressive. So, you know, it was, um, it was, you know, it was more of a roller coaster. But I think it was probably the most profitable strategy. And now that's pretty much what people are doing. There's an issue, though, with the way that you're saying this. Because as an example, I played online poker for, I don't know, a decade, eight years, whatever it was. And I had a month where I won 700K. So I could say 700K in a month. That's like winning 8.5 million a year. But I didn't. I won 700K in one month. What stakes was that at? Probably mainly 200, 400, 300, 600. There's a lot of Lahasa battles, Isildur, that kind of stuff. So that's literally 100 fucking X what I was playing or 10X or whatever. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're talking about almost winning the same amount at 10X the stakes. Right, but you're the one saying that it'd be like winning five million in a year, but it's not like that. It's like one month. It's cherry picked, right? So the reason I think this is important is you're trying to build, and I think where we're kind of driving with this conversation in general is your background. You're saying is you made all your money from poker, right? Yeah. And so and so because of that, this story is important, and those facts matter. And it and when you have a story like you do with your dad, where your dad is very rich and successful, and you're his son, then we're going to have to have a, some very credible facts as to the way you made your money, where you played, how you won. And if you're saying you play online and you won, then 
that that stuff's easy to prove. We can we can actually go in and get the party poker hand histories almost certainly. Um, Good. Go, like, go, on, go on Bodog. Get get the hand histories. I, I played poker for a living for 14 years. It's not like these are like small sample sizes. Like I said, you've got guys like Andrew Robel who literally played private games with me for 10 years straight, had pieces of me. I had pieces of him. Like he watched me play. You know, you got guys like Rick Solomon. Like I said, the guys probably, you know, won me at least 20 million fucking dollars. I've won him a bunch of money. Like, you know, and, and I was staking a lot of players. I was putting a lot of players in games. I mean, I was running a game for years. I mean, so it's not like I was this like small piece of the poker community. I was literally like running the best game in LA for years. I mean, I, you know, it's not guys that you play with because you can't get in these games, but you can easily talk to them. JRB. I mean, I used, I staked JRB. I mean, I had, like I said, I've had pieces, a lot of these different pros and they've watched me play. So if you have any, you know, if you actually wanted to do some research, you could talk to these people because they've seen me play. They've watched me play for years and years. So like, it's and they all know that I beat Alec for you know around 40 million fucking dollars. That wasn't a big secret. I mean, so it, this stuff is verifiable. I have fucking wire transfers. It's not like I'm just like pulling this stuff out of my ass. I, I know firsthand to give you a little bit of credit here, firsthand that a lot of these heads of victories are true. So I'm not I'm not denying that you didn't beat these people for a bunch of money. Heads up. I know that these 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 matches happened, and you're certainly a better poker player than a lot of these business guys that you're playing heads up, obviously. The question here is where you got all your money from and did it all come from poker? And and that's that, that's really what we're trying to drive at here. I, I think that's I think that's the easiest thing. Like you, you're saying that it's from a trust fund. I can literally show you the trust documents of what it is and when I got them and when I cashed it out. I mean, I, ha- I have it in my book. I literally put the, the screenshots of the wire transfers, what the trust was. I mean, I can show you the trust documents. I mean, I, you know, I, my accountant did a vignette in there like it's not hard to track this stuff. Like it's not some big mystery. Like if I got some big fucking trust fund, I would, I, there's like a tax liability. It's not like something that like goes I didn't say the trust radar. Fund. Like, I never said trust fund. I don't believe I, I, I can't say a hundred percent. Cause I've said a lot of things over the, over the years, but I don't think I ever said trust fund. Okay. Your dad my, can give your dad, dad did not give me any money, but he could give you money. That's not in a trust fund, right? He could have cash. He could have, there, there are, there are a bunch of ways he could give you money that are not trust fund. Right. There Obviously are, there, there are, but he did not. You know, right, and, but and it would have been difficult for him to do that. Obviously, there would have been like tax liabilities. That's why people set up trust funds is so that, you know, it's not like taxable. Because if he just handed me, you know, or he wired me a million dollars, like I have to pay, you know, whatever, 40 percent fucking tax on that. That's why they set up trust funds. I mean, that's for the whole purpose. So, like, why wouldn't he just put it into a trust if he already had a trust? Why is he just going to, like, hand me money that I would be, you know, heavily taxed on and that obviously, like, you know, isn't going to be under the radar? I mean, this was like long before crypto. So there was no way to like just it's not like my dad had this big duffel bag full of cash. When you're on Wall Street doing corporate rating, they don't like pay you in fucking cash. He's not a drug dealer. So like he doesn't have large amounts of cash. If he wanted to send me money, it would be in a fucking wire. And I didn't get any wires from my father. So like it's it, this is not like hard. I mean, and they would have come after him, by the way, for that, too, because he owed money to you know the government. So if he's sending out wires or transferring money, I mean, that's super illegal. And, you know, they would have come after him for it. I mean, it, it would have been like easily show it, it would easily show up. Right. Because like money doesn't just come into a fucking bank account. Like, how's he going to give me this money? Like, what's your what's what's what is your um, best guess as to how he would have given me money or how he gave me money? Since you think that he gave me money, how do you think that that would happen? Why can he not give you cash? 
I don't understand that. Because he's he worked on Wall Street. When you when you make money on Wall Street and you're taking over billion dollar companies, they don't pay you in duffel bags of cash. I know, but he can care. withdraw cash at the bank. He can have someone that owes him money. The bank and just be like, hey, give me a million dollars in cash. Like the, yes, you, you guys can. are red flags that that would draw you. It's like hard to get ten grand from the bank. Like you, and that would have showed up by the way. And then when they and then when they had judgments against him, they would have pulled that up in court. Like. They, they were trying to figure out like where his money is or whatever. Like if he, if he withdrew like millions of dollars in cash, that would have been the biggest fucking IRS red flag right. in the fucking world. Let that me give you an example. Up. Let me give you an example. Let's say that he had some kind of investment or, or bet with a friend and he won and he had 500 K or a million dollars to collect. He could say, why don't you give that to Dan? And then now he's not going to have to deal with, with this wire. He, okay, he's not a poker player, and you know, and normal people don't just like bet five hundred thousand dollars with their friends and say, "Hey, by the way, wire it to my son." I mean, like this is like such a ridiculous hypothetical. I don't think it's that ridiculous. Your, your dad okay, but, has. But what I'm trying to say to you is that if my dad wanted to give me money, he literally would have just put it into the trust fund, and it would have been tax free, and it would have been fine. Like all the money that my dad wanted to give me, he put in that trust fund. So like if there was extra additional money that he wanted to give me, he would. And there was a reason why he didn't want me to get the trust fund until I was 35. He wanted me to make my own money. So why would he why would he have a, a due date on the trust fund of like 35 and then just randomly hand me fucking money or send me money? Like the whole reason he made it 35 was so that I didn't have any help from him. That was the purpose. Like he's, most people don't make it 35. He's your dad. He can decide that he wants to help you. And when you're rich and powerful, like your dad is, you can find ways to get your kid money. This is not rocket science. Rich people have been finding ways around things for a very long time. I'm sure if your dad said, you know what? I really want Dan to have 100K for me, which by the way, you know what I got from my parents? I got, I got free room and board and then it was on your way. Good luck in the world, right? So yeah, I, I, I started got the same thing. I went okay. to the military at 18. Like I, okay. the, the, like I, the one thing I got from my dad was he gave me a Jeep Grand Cherokee when I was in the military after I made it through Hell Week. So that's the one thing that I got from him. He didn't give me any fucking, you know, things of cash. He didn't give me any wires. He literally gave me zero money. And I would bet you on that too. We can hook him up to a lie detector I, test. I don't need to bet on the, the Grand I'm Cherokee saying, or like, lie detector. If, 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 you, if you want, you know, he, we could hook him up to a lie detector test. You can ask him whatever you want. I would bet that he hasn't given me any fucking large chunks of money. Here's the main problem. Here's the core issue. You've been telling everyone in all these games that you're, you're rich because of your family and you've been using that to get into games. No, and that's been no people have been perpetuating that, and people have been saying, Oh, he's a trust fund kid. And when people and if people ask me if I had a trust fund, I wasn't lying by saying that I did. I didn't earlier, say I, earlier on this podcast, you said you tried to find money, make money the easy way, not not the hard way. And you did that by getting into these games because essentially people thought your money came from your family, and you pride yourself on not telling people how good you are at poker. So obviously your strategy here was people thought you're rich in your family and you use that to get into games. I mean, th- come on. That's obviously what your, what your strategy was, right? Okay. Obviously. So, so there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the core issue. You've been doing that for many years. And now after years of that, you're trying to say, actually, guys, I'm a really good poker player. Believe me now. It actually was poker, not these things. So you're kind of trying to have your cake and eat it too here. You want to be the guy in the rich family use that as your as your image to get into these games. And then afterwards, be like, oh, I actually made it all from poker. But the reason that people are going to have a hard time believing that is if people believe the first story when you're coming up in poker or you're coming up in these games and they believe you're a rich family. And now later you're saying, oh, it was actually poker. Well, there's not really fucking proof either way. When you there say actually, my dad- There actually is proof because, like I said, there's people that played 
poker with me shoulder to shoulder for 12 years, like Andrew Robel. There's people like Antonio Spandiari, like credible people in the poker world. Mike Matisau did a vignette for my book. Antonio Spandiari did a vignette in my book. Like all these people played with me. Keith, you know, like I, I mean, I've staked tons of these people. You got JRB, you've got, um, you know, Rick Solomon, you've got a bunch of like extremely credible people in the poker world that have made tens to hundreds of millions of dollars. And they will vouch for me playing and winning money. So it's not like this is some like smoke and mirrors, you know, mystery poker game that I popped up in here or there. No, like, like I said, I ran a poker game in LA for years, the best poker game in LA, which I refuse to have any good players in. And if, if there was a random good player that had to fill a seat, I got a piece of them. So like there was, you know, it's, it's not, like I said, it's not like I'm just showing up like, oh, I just want all this money in poker. It's like, no, I've been playing poker for a living for 14 fucking years. Like I was one of the pioneers of this shit. So like, I, you know, I, I don't understand. You shake your head. Who has been playing poker I mean, longer than me? Like, I, I think Doyle, when you think pioneer, I think you kind of got to give it to Doyle, right? And th- okay, that's but I'm so saying much like longer. one of the pioneers of the, like the internet stuff, you know, like I was playing back when like Durr was, you know, one of those guys like, you know, obviously like not the pioneers of poker, but like when the internet hybrid of poker came about, when like, you know, Chris Moneymaker came on the scene, when poker became mainstream, I was there at like the very beginning. I got lucky. I got in at poker in the fucking absolute right time, the right place. It was being adopted by mainstream. Celebrities were playing. Rounders had come out. Chris Moneymaker used 25 bucks to win, you know, millions of dollars. And and bam, you know, it was the poker gold rush. How can you be a pioneer of the hybrid of both when you don't even know how much you made online or or, or how it went over those years? What, what you really are is you're the pioneer of using your family's image to get into really good games and beat fish at high stakes. You're definitely no, the pioneer. I had to that. make that money before I got into those games in order to play those games, which I did. Right. But online, there's there's really no... There's no evidence here other than... Let's just say that the 500, 400K made a month is true. It probably is. You don't even know. I, the, I did not average 400K a month. I, I'm not I know. Saying. I didn't say that. I'm saying you made 400K in a month. Yep. But you're saying you pioneered the hybrid of these two things. No, you no, no. no. Be- I did not say. I, I, I was saying I'm one of the pioneers of poker. I came in when poker was becoming well known and I made more money than anybody else that I know of during that time. During the time that I played, I made more money than any other poker player that I know of other than, you know, Rick Solomon. But when you said you said hybrid online and live, right? You just said that a few minutes ago. Yeah, that's where I learned how to play poker was online. Okay. So, but when you say you're you're a pioneer of the hybrid, what you really mean is of just the live poker, right? Because the online, there's not there's not records there really. And you there are records. You said you could find them. Go look up Blitz Force on Bodog. Okay. We have this one site where you won 400 k but what no, I'm saying it wasn't, is, it wasn't up, just 400k. To, like I said, I, I had weeks where I won 87,000 playing 510 heads up. Like, I mean, I was playing heads up on there. I was playing, you know, I did the sit and goes on party poker. I mean, I was playing a lot online. I mean, that's, I, I initially went broke in the first like year and a half playing online. I was like playing high stakes. I wasn't very good. And then, I mean, I talked, like I said, that's why I wanted you to read the book is because I specifically line out exactly what I did, when, who I won money from, exactly the time periods. You know, I, I started playing poker and I wasn't great. Obviously, in the beginning, I went broke and then I bought a one way ticket to Vegas after playing on a gambling boat. And I won one hundred eighty seven thousand at the Bellagio after three weeks. Like I took that money. I went back and I like had a new gained, you know, um, self-control because I would play too aggressive. I would fucking bluff too much. 
but people at the time weren't really playing like that. So once I was able to like rein it in, people would play really fucking terrible against me. And I would actually play more conservative. I would open a lot of pots and play loose aggressive, but then I would get paid off in spots that other guys would not get paid off in. And I would get my money. And it was actually lower variance to play like that than it was to like make the correct time bluffs. Because when I got my money in, I had the fucking best hand. And these guys were drawn dead many times and they would just not believe me. So I cultivated an image and then I flipped and I switched gears and I would play, you know, pretty tight and I would just get fucking paid off over and over and over again. And back then people weren't really fucking doing that. So I leaned on that image. It wasn't just like the trust fund image. It was the playing super fucking loose, aggressive, playing really crazy, whatever. And then cashing out on, you know, the, the big pots were like, like I said, guys would put in fucking 1200 big blinds, the top pair, because they just didn't believe me and they refused to fold. And so that was a big part of like how I'd play as I would get people to play terrible against me and guys would bluff in spots. They wouldn't normally bluff. Their lines wouldn't make sense. I mean, there's a bunch of things that I was able to exploit these. I mean, you know, when rich guys try and fucking bluff or they get frustrated, they do stupid shit and it doesn't fucking make sense. They're hammering the fucking turn when the flush card hits. They're hammering the fucking river when the board fucking pairs. It's like, okay, what fucking hand are you representing here? Jackass? Like it doesn't make sense. So, you know, I'm going to fucking pick you off and it works. Like it's, I don't know. I don't think this is fucking rocket science playing against idiots, but I, I apparently I have to keep explaining this because like, well, but it's the combination of your family and playing like that. That makes it especially good for okay, you. Okay. So anybody that like comes from money can't fucking win money in poker, I guess. No, 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 no you can got the money from their dad. That's like the, I mean, well, Rick Solomon came from a rich family, you know, he didn't get money from his parents, but like he was able to get access to these games because he came from a rich family. Like, yeah. Is that an advantage? Like, obviously, yeah, it's an advantage. Like, and I, and I leaned yeah. into this, but like, can you cultivate other things? I mean, there was guys that like cultivated, they were dot-com billionaires that like weren't actually dot-com billionaires. There's a guy, a lot of guys that like slithered into these fucking games with, you know, various fucking, you know, MOs or whatever. And it worked like they got in, they, you know, yeah, but I, I, I would always, you know, weed them out in my games, but you highlighted an important point here, which is, this is why a lot of people can't do what you did, what Solomon did, because even if you got zero dollars from your family, you, they're not you they're that's not, not him true. that's not true you guys just like, said that guys, guys like, no i said that's what i use that you don't have to use that route andrew robo for instance he put in he, he staked jrb he gained access to these fucking games and andrew robo by now might have won more money than me in poker i mean he's fucking crushing the guy's murdering he's got a fucking massive house he's doing well like he's made a lot of fucking money from poker he's staked people he's you know he's getting into the good games and he is an absolute fucking pro everybody knows he's a good player but he gets into these games because he put jrb in because because he put games together. I would, I, like I said, I ran a game for two years, which gave me access to a ton of games. Eddie Ting knew that I was a good player, but he still let me play because I had juice. I, I ran a game. I decided who got into my games. Like when, when, you know, when you run a good game in poker, you have a lot of like power to get into other games, to put people in games, to shut people out, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of ways to skin the cat here. You don't just have to have a fucking, you know, trust fund or whatever. You can play super loose. I saw a lot of fucking good players come in the game and just fucking bomb. And they would fucking play negative EV. They would lose money, whatever. They would cultivate an image and then they would get back, you know, invited back into these games and they would fucking crush it. I mean, Tom Dwan's a perfect example of that. He just doesn't have self-control, but he, you know, he got into the fucking best games in the world over and over and over again. And there was times when he won crazy fucking amounts of money playing with these fucking Chinese guys. They're all fucking hopped up on meth playing in their fucking underwear at 2 a.m., you know, in their fucking villas. Like, I saw it. So, like, you know, they got a fucking line of hookers. I mean, I've seen all this fucking shit, right? So, like, there is many ways. Tom Dwan didn't have a fucking rich family. Andrew Robel didn't, you know, like. I know. But Tom Dwan specifically was because he he became the best online 
And that's what he used. And that actually worked for him because it was before we, we decided as a community, we hate the best people online. But I wanted to go back to something that you said, because I, I read through your book a, a bit before this podcast, because I want to understand some of the segments. And it seems like the, the key moment where you ran your roll up, according to the book, is where you turned 500 or $750, I think something like that, into 750 into, uh, uh, into 187000 over. I turned, I, yeah, I turned it into ten grand on a gambling boat, and then I bought a one-way ticket to Vegas. And yeah, I literally played at the Bellagio every single day for three weeks straight and walked out with one hundred eighty-seven grand. What stakes did you play for, for that? Mostly ten twenty. Okay. I mean, on the boat, it was two. It was one two, and then two five, and then when I went out to Vegas, it was ten twenty the whole time. Some you, I, maybe a little twenty-five fifty. Okay, so I mean, you, you won one hundred eighty k in three weeks of ten twenty and a little bit twenty five fifty. Yep. That's a pretty incredible amount of big blinds. It's like seven thousand big blinds or something. Yeah, I would sit I would sit deep. I mean, but you can ask, I mean, listen, I, I was playing at Bellagio for a long fucking time. Like and I would I would play at that ten twenty table a lot. Like all the floor guys knew me. Like it wasn't like I just like randomly show up. And they would call me when bad players came in. They called me when Goldstein came in. Like I would fucking tip them for seats. They'd put in a fucking, you know, tenth chair for me sometimes or whatever. So like I got into a lot of really good spots and I wouldn't play yeah. if the game wasn't good. Unlike a lot of these other guys, a lot of these guys would just like play in any lineup. I wanted there to be, you know, players worse than me at the fucking table. I wanted there to be people gambling. I wanted people that have. Yes, yeah. I, you know? I understand that. But that win rate is roughly 80 to 90 big blinds per 100 in full ring. So there's a couple of things there. First off, it's not impossible. But it, it it's a hard to believe story because of simply how much winnings that that is in such a short period of time, and then additionally, if you're sitting and buying in deep and you only have you know at the start of this run twenty thirty forty k to your name and you're buying in deep, if you just take one bad beat here or two bad beats here, your career can be over. You could just go bust right there. Yeah, I took a lot of risk in my in my poker bankroll, and my thing was like if I went broke, I'd just go back in the military. That was my fallback because. You know, and, and I and I fucking, you know, guys like Viffer did it too. I mean, there was definitely guys that like we would put our fucking bankroll on the table. I mean, I've done it before. Like I put a fucking inordinate amount of my fucking money on the table when I played some of these heads up matches. Like to me, it's like when I had a huge edge, I just like I took the shot, you know, and I and I did that. And so a lot of these guys, they'll fucking try and eke out a living and they'll be super conservative. They'll want, you know, this amount of fucking big blinds or whatever. And I, you know. I, I was irresponsible in the beginning. It worked out for me. I mean, there was times when, like I said, I had a big edge and I just wanted all myself. I, I rarely ever sold action. Um, I just kind of always wanted, you know, the most. And I would I would take pieces of, like I said, a lot of guys. Like I took pieces of Robo a lot. I would also, you know, get these guys in games in exchange for a piece. So, you know, there was guys that couldn't get in these games, but I would get them in the game. And that was another advantage of like playing fucking loose and, you know, giving a lot of action is that I would be like, well, I'm not playing unless this guy can play. And so I would literally get people in games that wouldn't otherwise be able to get in there. And I was able to make a lot of money doing that, too. I mean, like I said, there's a lot of ways to make money in poker other than just, you know, grinding it out yourself. OK, so let's let's jump in here and, and talk about some questions that people had. And um, what's what's the highest stakes poker game you've ever played in? Uh, 10K, 25K heads up. It's pretty high stakes. Was that was that versus Andy Beal? Uh, Alec Gorse. Oh, okay. Alec Gorse. What, what, what's the story with that? Um, what's in the book? If you want to read that motherfucker, you lazy ass. Do, do you um, want to tell these? We have a lot of people yeah. that are watching and listening. You want to tell them? I'm just, I'm just busting your balls. Um, it's uh, 
Yeah. I mean, it's kind of a long story. I mean, like you want the whole story of how I got in there. I mean, I, however much you want to tell man. So I was playing in, um, uh, Gila Liberté's game, um, in Ibiza and, or I guess to get into that game, I had lost big at the Aria. Um, and then I went over there and I actually lost in his game as well. And then, um, Alec had heard about my loss and I was playing with him at the Aria when I lost. So I was like, you know, really firing and we were playing pretty big. We were playing 501 K. Um, and so I, I think it was, or maybe it was one K two K. I don't know. It's pretty big, um, for a ring game. Anyways. Um, I lost there. I got into the visa game. I lost a little bit in Ibiza. And then as soon as I returned, Alec had heard about that and challenged me to a heads up match. And that was kind of the start of it. So sometimes, like I said, I would play, you know, I'd fire. I mean, I wasn't like playing terribly. I wasn't just like lighting money on fire, but I would play super high variance. I'd make big bluffs, whatever. Um, and, you know, know that there was always some like, I mean, that was kind of like the silver lining of losses is you knew that you like gained some EV and like people thinking that you sucked or being able to get in other games or like the longevity of you playing in games. And so I, I was not afraid to, you know, do that. And, you know, like I said, it led to this this match with uh, with Alec and he had just taken off Andy for a big number and he was feeling, you know, froggy. And that was the start of it. OK, gotcha. Simple enough. Uh, I wanted to talk briefly about the Vanessa Cade incident that happened late last year. You got to do a bit, a bit of a kerfuffle with her where uh, I, what was the exact quote that you said when she was talking about you when, so to take a step back, GG poker hired you as an ambassador. Yep. And there were mixed thoughts about that. A lot of people in the poker community felt like it was a bad look for GG and, and kind of poker in general to have you as an ambassador for one of the biggest online poker sites. What would you say about that? Um, I mean, look, everybody's got their own opinion. I mean, I think I've got the biggest platform of any poker player in the world. Um, and like I said, I'm, I'm one of the OGs. So, I mean, and I've won a lot of money playing poker and, you know, but it was more on the private side. I think like the high stakes community knows who I am. They know that I played, I ran the best games um, and I've won a lot of fucking money. So I think it's fine. I think they were trying to, you know, bring in a new audience. I mean, I've done some posts for them. They brought in, a, you know, brought in a ton of players I mean, for them, I, they're the biggest poker site in the world right now. So they're they're doing well. I mean, I think I did some um, some free tournaments and we got a lot of signups. Um, so, I, you know, I think it was a net positive for them. It's definitely a good a good business decision in terms of just direct directly traffic. I think that the question, though, is really you have an image of being extremely masculine and kind of disliking women. That's at least your image. That's probably not true. I disagree. I mean, thoughts I, on that. I think somebody that dislikes women would not surround themselves by women all the time. I mean, I think that's like a little bit of a counterintuitive thing. I, I'm not really sure where they get that. I mean, it, it would be like saying Hugh Hefner hated women. It's like, why would you spend your, I would like be like fucking, you know, saying Lewis Hamilton hates race cars. It's like, who the fuck would surround themselves with something that they hate? It doesn't make a lot of sense. So I, right, but, but I, maybe, maybe dislike is the wrong word. Maybe disrespect that you disrespect women. And I think a, a lot of the people would point to examples like, the throwing the girl off the roof. I mean, um, okay, there's a perfect example. I mean, and, and that one's in the book as well. Um, that was for a hustler photo shoot. They asked me to throw her off the roof. They wanted me to like shot put her over my head. I was like, oh, I don't know. That sounds a little dangerous. The girl was gung ho. She wanted to do it. Um, and so, you know, she wanted to do it. They asked me to do it. So I said, okay. And I told her the one thing that she had to do is let go of my, you know, let go of me that, you know, I was doing like a hip toss. So I was like, okay, you know, you clearly make it. I only have to throw you, you know, a few feet. Just 
don't hold on to me. So we did like, you can see it in the video. We did two dry runs and she's got her hands up. And then on the third one, she fucking grabs a hold of my shirt and almost pulls me off the fucking roof. I mean, you know, that, that is, that's not me hating women. And then it's a perfect example of the press misrepresenting what happened. It's like, oh, you know, Dan Bilzerian's throwing porn stars off the roof. Like, I'm just up there, like, chucking bitches off the roof like it's something to do. You know, like, this was asked of me. And I said, okay. And the girl was, like, gung-ho on doing it, you know. And uh, and it's, you know, I, I don't know. I, like I said, that's a perfect example of a misrepresentation of what actually happened versus what they said happened. You also have to be familiar, though, with the way the media works and the way that that stories can be construed. And you also can understand that probably one of the reasons Hustler wants you to do this is because it is part of your image, right, to do something like that. Like if you had to ask who in society is someone that would be throwing a porn star off a roof and you had to go top of the list, who, well, who, who are the people above you? Where you'd be like, that guy, not me. No, I'm going to take a step back on this one. Well, they asked me to be in a spread in the magazine, you know, and at the time I was like, you know, you know, doing the fame thing because it got me more pussy and it got me into good poker games. And it was just like something I was like, okay, it's a mountain I want to climb. And so I agreed to do that. Um, their ideas for the photo shoot, you know, it was, you know, one of them was me playing poker with the girls naked. One of them was like ping pong. I mean, it was like, you know, it was more for their brand of like what they thought their viewers would want to see. And like me throwing her off the roof was not like me being an asshole. Like we jumped off the roof every day. Like we were doing it for fun. Like we were doing flips off the roof, diving in the pool, like we get drunk and jump off the roof all the fucking time. So it wasn't like, oh, fuck this bitch. I'm going to throw her off the roof. It was like, this is what we do. This is fun. It's fun to jump off roofs. You know, she wanted, you know, you want to be thrown off the roof. I said, okay. You know, it wasn't, I don't know. I, I didn't look at it in any way of like being disrespectful. But you you have to know at some level, because you, you've seen the way the public responds to things. Obviously, you've had a lot of posts online do very well. You have to know the way that things are going to come across. And it certainly had to enter your mind. When there is a video of you throwing this girl off the roof, that that is going to go viral because of your image attached to it, right? Well, it was, you know, it you know that. It was never, it was never supposed to be a video. It was supposed to be a picture for the magazine. Um, but obviously after she, you know, clipped her foot and, you know, there was issue, they didn't end up running it. But it was never it was never really supposed to be a viral video. It was just, you know, one of the pictures. Like they had me cleaning a gun and the girls in the background playing naked ping pong. And then one was me at the poker table. I mean, it was just like a montage of of pictures it's not like we're like oh let's go figure out a viral video for the internet it was they didn't even they didn't even record it in video format so it was alan keating that like happened to be up there you know recording and he posted it and they went viral from there so it wasn't my outlet it wasn't hustler it was actually alan keating that you know posted the video and he didn't really have a lot of followers at the time so nobody really you know it, it like i said it wasn't an, an intended viral video it just happened to be okay I gotcha. Going back to the Vanessa Cade thing, though, when Gigi did decide to hire you as an ambassador for the site, um, she voiced her concerns and voiced her concerns. That's that's one way to put it. Uh, Well, did she not voice her concerns? uh, No, I think she was just talking shit, and you know, she was being um, super abrasive and you know, saying you know, extremely rude things. And my response to her was, you know, quiet ho, nobody knows who you are which is funny because, you know, she like hitched her fucking wagon to that tweet and like her PR team went out and like they did everything in their fucking power to like attach her name to me because nobody gave a fuck about who she was. And then because of that, they started to actually like learn who she was. So it's a bit ironic, but I would say, you know, she is just an opportunist that, um, like I said, tries to exploit my name much like you did. 
um, back in the day, and uh, nice. and much like many others do. Um, why, why call her a hoe though? What's um, the hoe part? I don't know. I think she called me about fifteen different fucking names. So, um, so just hoe. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of thought that went into that. Okay, I mean, it so wasn't it was even just, a tweet. It was a response. Was it? Would you say it was like a garden variety hoe? That's what she characterized it as. So. Oh, okay. Damn it. That joke was taken, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so I mean, she, she did, she did jump on that tweet fairly aggressively. And, and I thought some of the, some of the things that she did were pretty clearly opportunist, opportunistic. And I, 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 I did find it very funny when Gigi let her go and they said, how could you do this? just the day after International Women, Women's Day, which I thought was which was quite funny. But I do think when you, when you call someone a hoe, when you call a girl a hoe like that, it's it, it's a lot stronger coming from you. Do you recognize that because your name is built so much and because of who you are, when you call a woman something like that, that it is it has more of a punch than if someone else does it? I don't think so because when I did it, it was in direct response to her attacking me and it was, and it was sent directly to her. So the only people that could have even seen that were people that follow me and follow her. And I would assume that most of my followers obviously don't know who the fuck she is. So none of them would see it. It was really like, you know, when you, when you do a response tweet, unless you guys both have big followings, usually hardly anybody sees it. And you can see that because you know, the likes and the, and the retweets and whatever are usually non-existent. So it wasn't really something that I put a lot of thought in, like I said, because I didn't think very many people were going to see it. Um, and not that I would give a shit. I mean, she said a bunch of, you know, extremely fucking, you know, uh, ridiculous things to me. I mean, calling me, I don't remember exactly what she said, but it was much worse than, than what I said to her. And then she basically like, Oh my, it's like, it's like if a, it's like if a guy goes and like, you know, punches somebody in the face 15 times and then the guy bitch slaps them, then they fall on the ground like a fucking soccer player and, you know, act like their fucking jaws broken, you know, when they started the fight and they did much worse. Um, I mean, I think it's just like kind of a fucking joke how it was, you know, taken out of context, but. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, let's see here. What else, what else do we have? Um, let's talk about ignite briefly because ignites had a lot of different, news stories over the last several years what's kind of the backstory to ignite and it seems like the company has pivoted a few different times along the way can you talk about sort of where where ignite is today yeah so initially it was started because i wanted to kind of like take advantage of the fact that cannabis was becoming legal in the u.s and i thought there was a big opportunity there being a you know longtime cannabis smoker and not really afraid of the negative stigma that comes with it um And what I learned was just that the cannabis market is very difficult. I mean, it's very fragmented. You can't, you know, ship across state lines. So it's like, and most of my audience is outside the U.S. So I was really like focusing like a nuclear bomb on an anthill, if you will, when I would do these posts because it was only available in a few states. And so um, we weren't really able to get a lot of traction. Plus we had, you know, it was just a lot of stuff like bad partners. There was just, it was headache after fucking headache after headache. You're also competing against the black market, which pays no taxes. They go direct to consumer. They don't have to test. So they're, you know, the weed's fresher. You know, it costs them less. I mean, they don't, you know, we, you know, people would lose crops if there was like a slight amount of, um, you know, heavy metals in there or whatever. But the black market, they, you know, would sell whatever. They didn't care. They would even buy weed like that for cheap and then sell it, you know, so it was very difficult to compete with the black market and there wasn't a big margin. And then you would also get punished by the U S government because you weren't allowed to 
deduct any of your expenses. They basically treat you as a cocaine dealer. It's you're in the same category as somebody that's a drug dealer selling heroin. You can't write off any of your employees. You can't write off any of this stuff. So, um, it was a tough business. And we also, um, had, you know, some CEOs that weren't doing a very good job. Like Curtis was one of them, you know, the guy that ended up doing the whole whistleblower thing. It's funny because the moment we fired him, we, you know, completely turned around the company. We started, you know, doing a shitload of sales and, you know, since the company's, you know, actually doing really fucking well. I mean, I think um, we just did a press release saying that our, I believe it was, yeah, our October month beat our entire last third quarter um, in sales. And our last third quarter was, I think it was like 16 million. And then, you know, we predicted that this quarter is going to beat our entire last three quarters together. So the growth rate and the sales have just been going through the fucking roof since we've switched over to, you know, focusing mainly on nicotine vape and the spirits, which are basically things that we can sell all around the world and capitalize on, you know, that that international following. So it's only really been one pivot then from cannabis over to more liquor based stuff then? Well, we that was the first pivot was cannabis to liquor. And then the nicotine vape was always something that I was right. wanting to do. It just took us a while to do it. So I'd say that would be like kind of like our, it was a third. The big pivot was to to the spirits. And then we added the nicotine, which we've been working on for a while. Um, and that's really what took it off because the nicotine is just so easy to ship. It's much less regulated. Um, there's so many people that are using it. There's not really a lot of brands in the space. It's not a distribution nightmare. Like alcohol, a big part of alcohol is distribution. And you don't really make a lot of money in alcohol until you sell it to like a Southern wine and spirits or somebody like that, because they're the ones that, you know, get the shelf space. And, you know, you, otherwise you just get that, you know, small, um, you know, incremental, you know, uh, amount of money for each sale, whereas they get the big spread, and they control the shelf space. So liquor is one of those things where you make a shitload of money when you sell the brand, but not so much as you're kind of like going to the sale. Okay, fair. So your ultimate goal is is really to find a buyer then, I imagine. For for the spirits, absolutely. Okay. Um, but the nicotine's been just driving crazy, crazy sales right now. So that's what we've been focusing on. Okay, cool. Um I haven't been following the Ignite thing too much. I know, I know some people were really interested in it. I at least wanted to ask that. I, I had a couple of questions sort of about your philosophy and just general views on things. And I, I want to start with a story. I actually met you for the first time in 2009 at the Bellagio, and we played some Heads Up 5100. Do you remember Do you remember that match? I don't. I don't. Okay, we played, we played Heads Up 5100. I remember we you sat down at a full ring table. I, I had to be really young at this. I had to be 22 or something like that. And you sat down, and you were baked out of your mind. And you bought in for whatever, a few hundred K or a couple hundred K, whatever it was. And there was some guy from DreamWorks or some some of the one movie. Oh, Katzenberg. Company. Okay, Katzenberg. Yeah, yeah, and Katzenberg. in your very first hand, you sat down, you're clearly baked. And then this guy just ends up jamming a river versus you for a huge over. Seven deuce, right? Yeah, yeah. You remember this oh, hand? Cock sucker, yeah. Dude. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I was at the table for that. Oh, dad's um, still fucking tilted for that goddamn hand. <laughs> Yeah, that was great. That was great. And that was an example of, of a hand, I think. I forget the action or whatever now, but he basically, he, he buffed the river with seven deuce, right? That's what happened? He fired a fucking huge barrel on the river, and I wanted to call him. I thought he was full of shit, but that, like you said, that's an example of these fucking people just doing these crazy fucking things against me, you know? Right. So that session, whatever happened, it ended up just meeting you at the table, and then we played some heads up, and, and we duked it out, and um you ran some very creative bluffs on me that got through i remember there was a weird float out of position with just nothing and 
just you ended up firing a river where everything got there and i was like well you have to have nothing and then you just showed me the nothing <laughs> i remember that hand vividly um but what what i wa- wanted to drive at with the story was you were a really quiet reserved guy just very humble and nice and you didn't talk that much really and then i ran into you a couple times around vegas and you'd be like oh what's up dog i'd be like oh what's up dan and then a few years later the dan bolzerian image started to pop up online and I thought, man, this just seems so out of character from the guy that I met. Because when I met you, you, you just you you weren't it didn't you didn't have sort of that whole I don't want to call it a facade, but it, the whole the whole thing going like that. You just seemed like a relatively normal guy. Was well, there a change there, or, or is 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 that an honest? Would you say that your public persona is an act, or would you say it's more like a Phil Helmuth where that's really you, or is it somewhere in between? What are your thoughts? It's a good question. Um, cause I feel like I'm extremely misunderstood and like, but I, I lined it out in the book. Like you'll really see in there, the book is not a brag fest. I mean, it's pretty fucking humble. It's like you described. How I, I am. I, I don't know if I can say it's really fucking humble. I read about 30 minutes today and I would not say that, but well, but you didn't start at the beginning though. The be- I mean, like, it, you know, it's, I started like, you know, the beginning is certainly nothing to be fucking proud of. And then obviously as, you know, success came and, you know, and, and whatever, um, I, you know, I changed a bit. I would say to answer your question about the online stuff, you know, that's, that's really like a highlight reel, you know, of my life. That's not really like, you know, my life all the time. Right. So if you're just looking at like the 10% of the crazy things that somebody does, you're going to look at them as being a crazy person, right? Like those things were all accurate. Those were all true. Like I was doing all that stuff, but I was also like, hanging out with my buddies, smoking weed, watching movies, you know, chilling, like, you know, we go on surf trips, whatever. And, you know, and then I, there was the countless hours playing poker and, you know, all the, all the non-glamorous stuff um, that was also my life. So um, I've always been a pretty humble guy. I know that my online persona, you know, seems more braggy um, and it probably is, you know, but that's what people want to see. And that's what they respond to is the crazy stuff, right? Like, me petting my cat while there are pictures of me on my Instagram of me petting my fucking cat aren't exactly what my audience is following for. Um, so yeah, I mean, and, and, and a part of my Instagram, you know, had a purpose too. I mean, it was to get laid with less effort. Um, and then it was also once it kind of like hit a tipping point, it was then to see if, you know, how famous I could get and how far I could push that envelope and, you know, what games that could get me in and so on and so forth. And also could that then lead to me, having an acting career or, you know, transitioning out of poker, because that's really what I wanted to do. Poker was fucking stressful and I didn't like it and I wanted to stop fucking playing. Um, And so I looked at that as like a possible way out and a possible transition and also just something new. And also like as a kid, I always wanted to be a fucking rock star. So it allowed me to kind of like live that fucking actually like much crazier than the rock stars that I hung out with. Um, And yeah. So it, it kind of, is that the, is that the humble part right there? It's well, it's the truth, man. I went on tour with my buddy from system of a down and I talk about this in the book and like, I didn't get pussy for three weeks, you know, and he barely got laid and it was just not what I expected. And then I went to Europe after, you know, uh, I became famous and I was just like knocking off chicks left and right in crazy situations that you wouldn't, you know, ever think possible. And it was like, it was weird because, I expected all this out of him and I was just shocked when I got to live that myself. You say that you think you're misunderstood. How are you misunderstood? 
Um, because I think a lot of people look at my, you know, stuff online and think that I'm, you know, super outgoing and gregarious and fucking crazy and this and that. And I would say, um, most of the time I'm pretty fucking mellow. Like when we're partying and we're turning up and we're doing crazy shit, like, yeah. And when I do the adrenaline stuff, I would say that that's probably not the norm, but I think I've just heard so many times when people meet me, they'd be like, Oh, I thought you were going to be an asshole and this and that. And then they meet me and they're like, Oh, you're actually like a really nice guy. There's not a lot of people I don't think that have met me that, that, you know, have really negative things to say about me. There's a shitload of people that haven't met me that do, but of the people that have met me, usually it's more similar to your story um, where they're surprised or um, they are confused, uh, whatever. But I, you know, I don't know. I, I get it. I understand why, um, especially yeah. with the new stuff. I think I think from my experience talking to people just about you in general, I think that most people have really great things to say about you one on one, but they don't love a lot of the act that kind of goes along with the fame and the notoriety of being Dan Bulzerian on social media. So so going back to before, so would you say that a lot of that is sort of a personality and not who you really are? Well, it depends. I think it like shifted. You know, when I initially did this, it was like a bucket list thing. I'd made a fuckload of money playing poker. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to buy all the shit that I ever wanted as a kid that I fucking never got. You know, my dad wasn't a flashy guy. He didn't have the the fast cars, the nice watches or the jewelry or the hot chicks. He didn't have any of the shit that I fucking wanted. You know, and I talk about this in the book. And I think that drove me to, you know, really focus on that once I got my own money. And so I was like, you know, at the same time, I had, you know, issues with my ex um, because, you know, she was like so proud of her 100,000 followers and she was moving to L.A. to become famous. And so a part of it was kind of like the shit on her dreams and, you know, Gatsby her a little bit, you know, where I was like moved to her city and became like, you know, so big that she couldn't fucking turn around out here in my name. And um, and there was that piece of it. There was like I said, I just wanted to see how far I could take the why, fame. There's all this why stuff. Do- why do that to her? Did, did, I mean, what happened with that? Why, why well, would you, I was like why super would you care? in love with her? And, uh, and she basically kind of like chose modeling. In my opinion, she chose modeling like over the relationship and that hurt. Um, and that was tough, you know? And so, cause I was like kind of against moving to LA and, um, and so then, I don't know, ironically, then I moved to LA. Um, well, it was to apparently show her up, right? Well, that was like one of the things, but yeah, it was, that was where all the money was. I mean, I went to LA cause that was where the, you know, the big money and the poker and the hot chicks and all the stuff that I, you know, superficially wanted was How, there. Can we talk about the hot chicks for a second? Yep. Because I, I kind of don't understand this at some point. And obviously I've not been with women on anywhere near the scale that you have been. But when I was in my early twenties, I, I did some pickup and I did okay with, with the ladies for a bit and I had some fun and I was dating several girls. And then I reached this point where, you know, I banged a bunch of girls, whatever. And then I reached this point where I just didn't really care anymore. I felt like I had had fun with it and I just wanted something that was more long-term sustainable. And I guess, I guess when it comes, if it was like, Doug, would you want to have all these girls constantly for forever? And you have to talk with all these people and deal with them all the time. Like at some point it starts to feel like a lot of responsibility and how, how rewarding is that long-term to have that be your long-term lifestyle? You know, I go in phases, so I will go crazy for a while. I guess I didn't like even fully answer the question before because like when I first got into this, I went off on a tangent and I think this will kind of answer that a little bit too. I, you know, I was doing the bucket list stuff and so it was kind of like about like buying shit and there was the girls and the party and all that stuff. And then I got a girlfriend around 2016 and just like chilled the fuck out. 
And then I started Ignite around like 2018-ish, but like started like working on it, like paving the road for it in 2017. And the thought there was that, you know, look, if I have to take pictures in a fucking parking lot with every asshole for the next 10 years and I didn't like monetize this or do anything with it, I'm going to regret it. And so once I started doing the Ignite stuff, it was more about kind of like, I don't know, it was like doing like a more beefed up version of what I had done before and about like one upping myself. And so I think that's probably, and I was like making a lot of noise and I felt like all the noise that I made would then translate to, you know, brand recognition. And so it was a little different then. And I think that's like, you know, people have pretty short memories, right? They like focus really on the Ignite stuff, but they don't realize like I'd been doing this since like 2012. And the Ignite stuff was more like just kind of like my life on steroids a little bit. Um, And so it was different, you know, and with the girls, it would ebb and flow, you know, like I had that girlfriend in 2016. And then when I finally broke up with her in 2017 or 18, then I just went balls to the wall. Actually, I think I got with her in 17 and then broke up with her in 18. It was like around that. I'd have to look at the exact time. But when I broke up with her, I was just like fucking balls to the wall. And the thing about being single is like when you're single, it's like good to be really single. And the and I found this in, you know, in dating girls is that when you when you're dating like 40 or 50 girls and you really don't give a shit and they come and go and you get new ones and old ones drop off and it's not that big a deal. You actually do much better than when like it shrinks down to a smaller group because then the girls care more. They expect more. They actually don't treat me as good. Um, they fall off faster. It's like they get more jealous. It's a weird thing. Like when it's like when you kind of keep them at arm's length and you're in like that honeymoon phase of dating for a long time, I think it's better than when it's, you know, becomes more serious and it becomes more serious and, and, and like jealous when there's less girls, believe it or not. So I've wrestled with that a little bit because, yeah, I mean, dating a shitload of girls can be a headache. But then at the same time, you also like have so many that you really don't care. And it's like they're hitting you up and you're responding to like them wanting to hang out. So it's like very low effort. They come over, you have sex, they go do their thing. You fuck a different girl. It's like, you know, and then I had girls staying at the house all the time. It was just like it was easy. It was so easy that like. Uh, you know, I put in the effort early and that's kind of like what I, you know, said, that was the premise of the book. I mean, I did this in poker. I did this, you know, um, with the girls. I mean, I would set up the situation. So I put in the, in the, in the work early and then later on, you know, I would reap the rewards and, you know, have it pretty fucking easy. Do you, do you think it's cool to have a lot of money and have sex with a lot of different women and show all these different things? Like, do, do you think it's cool to show those things? I don't know if it's cool. I mean, I, I think it's I think it's cool to do what you want to do and not worry about like other people's perception. I think a lot of people like handcuffed by like what their wife would think or what their you know family would think or what their business would think. You know, like so many people want to be doing a lot of this shit, maybe not on the level that I did it, but like they have to hide it, you know. And I think like being open and honest with what you're doing and not like shying away. I think there's something cool about that. And I think that's authentic. And I think that's rare. And I think too many people worry about, oh, what are they going to think if I do this or whatever? And I, I just, I took the opposite approach when I would date these women and I would just be fucking fully honest and they would see exactly what was going on as opposed to the guys that like sneakily try and fuck a bunch of girls on the side totally. and, you know, end up with it blown up in their face. Yeah. That's definitely the best way to live life is trying to be as honest as you can with people and re- re- doing something that people, don't like at least if you're honest about it they'll respect that 
Whereas if you lie about it, they won't respect you and you know they'll be upset as well. So I, I like the direct honest approach. I think that's a great way of living life. But I, look at, I, I, I look at it like ripping a band-aid. It's like initially painful telling somebody somebody telling somebody something that they don't want to hear, but in the long run, not having to like worry about remembering your lies or worrying about getting caught or whatever. It's like it's so much more liberating, you know? Um, so yeah, I've been like a, and you can ask, I mean, any of my friends, I mean, we have mutual friends, ask Perkins how fucking honest I am. I mean, and you find out when people are honest, when they fucking have to answer questions that are very uncomfortable that they don't want to fucking say, and you know, it. like if you ask a girl, how many guys have you fucked? And she says 178, like, you know, she's telling the truth. Like what girl's going to lie? <laughs> so the more they tell you shit like that, or like, you know, how many guys you fucked last week? And she's like, Oh, like, I got really drunk and I had a foursome with these football players and I feel like a total whore. Like if she tells me that, I'd be like, well, goddamn, I mean, I may not want to date her, but at least she's honest. You know, <laughs> like, so yeah, there's, there's certainly respect there. And, and anyone admitting that they had the train running them is uh, not, not afraid to say the truth. What, what would you say is your biggest regret in life? Man, that's hard to say. I, um, it's funny because I've said this before in other interviews, a lot of times like the things that you thought were going to be your biggest regrets are actually the things that have been the best for you. Um, it's like when you get interviewed and someone says, what's your biggest weakness? And they're like, like my biggest weakness is that I have no weakness or like <laughs> my biggest weakness is that all my strengths are so good. It's a weakness. No, I'm not trying to say that. I'm just saying like, for instance, like when I got kicked out of seal training, that was like a fucking big blow. You know, I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and I didn't graduate. And that was, uh, that to me was really shitty. And it was like tough to deal with that. And I was like a monkey on my back for a while. Um, but you know, like I said, other times, you know, a lot of my classmates died. Um, I would have missed the poker at the right time. Like I wouldn't have gotten into poker when, you know, nobody knew how to fucking play poker. Um, and I just, you know, my whole life trajectory would have changed. I would have gone to college, you know, later and, you know, as, you know, uh, like towards the end of my UF stint, like the guys that were coming in were a lot more nerdy. The girls weren't as hot, like the GPAs went up and it just like the college experience changed. Pike got kicked off campus. So I just like look at a lot of these little things and had any of it changed, I wouldn't have ended up where I'm at right now. And I feel pretty good about where I'm at. So I've had well more than my fair share of fuck ups in life. Let's not fucking act like I haven't. Um, But would I go back and change them? I don't know, man. I've learned a lot from my fuck ups. You know, I've probably learned more from my fuck ups than I have from my success. So what's your biggest regret though? There's gotta be at least something that you regret. I know, I know the meme is no regrets or whatever, but there's gotta be one regret <laughs> along the an way. A. Yeah. Um, an <laughs> man, I, like I said, it's, 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 it's a weird thing because if you change one thing, you don't end up where you're at. You know, like, I, I mean, I had regrets about my relationship with Jessa, but had that of like gone a different direction, I wouldn't be where I am. And I feel like, I feel like I've lived like 10 lifetimes and I feel like I've got a lot more coming down the pipe and Ignite's doing really well right now. And I, I think I have a legitimate, you know, shot at being a billionaire within the next year or two. And I'm excited about what I got coming up and I'm more than happy with what I've done. I mean, I feel like I've like checked most of the boxes that I wanted to check. Um, so I don't know, man. I, you know, like I said, I've had plenty of fuck ups and plenty of things that like going back in time, I would have been like, well, obviously I want to fucking graduate SEAL training. Obviously I wouldn't have done this dumb thing or whatever, but I don't know, man. 
I don't know. I, I, like I said, I'm happy with where I am, so I wouldn't want to change it by altering past stuff. I, I asked you your biggest regret and you threw in there. I might be a billionaire next year. <laughs> oh man. In, in reference get, to the fact get, that like, get, I don't want to change where I am no, right no now. No editing. That was no editing. That just actually happened. I want the record to show. Yeah. Listen, he, 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 you know, there's going to be no shortage of dumb fucking things that I say. I'm sure about that, but um, I, yeah, man, I feel good about where I'm at. And I, I think, like I said, if I changed anything along the way, I wouldn't be here. So. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, what are your, what are your future goals? Do you have, do you have any upcoming goals or short-term long-term goals? Um, I would like to get ignite to a half a billion in sales a year. That's one of my goals. Where are sales at right now? Um, well, we projected in our press release that this quarter, I believe, was going to be around. If you if you just add the numbers up, I believe around fifty million ish in sales, a little under maybe, but like around there just for the quarter. Um, so if you extrapolate that out and the growth rate, I think you know getting to a half a billion a year in sales is very doable, um, and it's actually kind of like you know on the chart of you know you look at the sales and where they've been in the past and where they're going. Um, I think that's a realistic goal. Okay, cool. I wanted to ask you about the being a cop thing. I've heard you talk about being a cop in several different places. And is the cop thing actually a cop or is it, is it, is it a real, can, can you walk us through the, the becoming a cop story? Yeah, it's in the book once again. <laughs> For a guy that's very but interesting. Dan. Dan, yeah. we have we have I'm happy to I'm happy to answer it. People listening, people. not every every listener and viewer is gonna be have read the book, right? I, I'm just giving you shit. Yeah, no, 100 percent So um the cop thing. So back, I believe oh fuck. I don't remember if it was I think it was around 14, 2014. Um I became a reserve cop um in New Mexico and yeah, I was, you know, I, we served high risk warrants at the U S Marshal. I mean, it was a legit thing. I kicked the fucking door in off its hinges and, you know, served a murder warrant. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it was an interesting, it was an interesting deal. It was like a lot of like ex special forces guys. Um, and they basically like would line up guys, I'm doing a podcast here. What are you, um, and so they would line up basically like, um, a bunch of warrants and then we would go serve them when I was, you know, in town and you would come every like six months, you would do like a four day stint. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, you know, I did that for about four years. What happened on the, the shooting day in Vegas? Because I remember you were actually on the strip, I believe during the shooting. Right. And there was a video of you, you try and talk to a cop or what exactly went down on that? Because there was a big uproar about what you were doing on the strip that day. Yeah. So I've got the whole video. Um, it's about six minutes. Um, and the shooter I think was shooting for like eight minutes total. So yeah, that was like another, you know, misconception is that, Oh, Dan was like running from the fucking shooting and this and that. And he was scared. It was like, if you watch the video. I mean, I can upload it on here if you want to see it. I mean, I'm literally like spend the first like minute and a half, like looking for a gun in the cop's car um, and then I run to a police barricade, um, towards the Mandalay and I asked the cop if I could, you know, get a gun. Cause I thought, you know, there was a fucking guy running around, um, you know, shooting up the fucking crowd, like Columbine style. And, um, yeah. oh, you guys at the time you couldn't tell where it was coming from. You thought it was in the no. crowd. 
nobody okay. knew. And then I was like, and then I came back afterwards. Can, can you, can you please? Thank you. Um, and then after that, I came back and I was like, you know, doing some like help with the first responders and whatever. Um, and the guy, I heard them on the radio. Like they had no idea where the shooters were from. They thought there was multiple shooters. They were like, you know, going up the, um, the, uh, what's it called? The, um, Hooters hotel. They like stormed that one. There was a guy dead on Las Vegas Boulevard. Um, it was Las Vegas. And I think trop, which was like pretty fucking far down the street. And I, I was like, I actually like was one of the people who moved the body. So I was like, we really believe that there was multiple shooters the whole fucking time. And I actually, in my video, you can see there's like a muzzle flash coming from the eighth floor. And it was supposed to be the 28th. So I don't know, man. And it sounded like multiple fucking guns in the videos that I have. Um, but yeah, I, I got a lot of shit for that, which is like kind of funny because we took two girls to the hospital. I was there for the fucking whole shooting. And it was like the narrative these fucking idiots in the press were like putting out there was like that you're not supposed to run from it. I mean, you know, like you're not supposed to run from a fucking active shooter situation. Like what are you supposed to stand? Well, I think. I think people weren't upset that you were running away or calling you scared. I, I didn't see all the well, press. I, I thought, the headline was like Dan Bilzerian was a coward or something like that. Well, that's, I mean, that's just stupid. It, 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 I'm, I'm not afraid to say it here on the podcast. If someone shoots at me, I'm going to run. Just, you know, just heads up. That's just going to be my thing. I'm going to try not to die. Probably I think some people were upset that you were trying to kind of play soldier and ask people for guns and trying to make it kind of about you trying to save the day rather than help people. I, that's that's what I heard people complaining about. Yeah, I didn't even know my friend was filming. Um, and a lot of people also said that I like came back later and like tried to film showing that, I, you know, it was like, no, this is like the guy only shot for eight minutes. And we have a film of, like almost the entire thing, like bullets are literally hitting the ground by us while we're running. Um, and so, yeah, if you watch the video, you'll clearly see like. A, I wasn't really like scared at all. I was running towards the shooter and I was like trying to fucking actively get a gun. And, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I, this is not like, you know, listen, all the news interviews afterwards were like, oh, we want to do a hero piece on you. And I basically told them to get fucked. And then this Marine started like talking shit. And then they like ran with his article, um, you know, because I refused to do the interviews. So this was not like me trying to like, you know, act like I was some fucking big hero and I really didn't like do anything fucking, you know, amazing or whatever. It's not that. It's just like I was just shocked that they were mischaracterizing, you know, what happened is like, oh, Dan's running or he's trying to like pretend like he's helped. It was just like it was nonsense. Like I said, if you want, I'll upload the video right here um, and you can watch yeah. it and make your own assessment. Uh, I, sure. Is it we can we easily upload this? Um, I don't know. I can just hear the tech. computer, I think. Um, hang on one second. If not, I'm sure we can figure out some other way to, to upload it. Is it publicly available online? I'm sure it is, right? The video? Um, that's a good question. I think it would be. Um, also, I hope we don't get this content taken down for for violence or something, depending on what's in the video. Yeah, I mean, I, you don't see. I mean, there's a girl that's shot, but you don't see it or any. I mean, you don't really. It's not close enough to see. So let. How me, about you send it to me afterwards, and then and then I can just like talk either talk about it or whatever because okay. I don't want to. I don't want to lose. You could probably find it on YouTube if you look up okay. Dan Bilzerian, um, like full shooting video. You could probably have your boy find it and then throw it on here, and I could walk you through it. Is I mean. I don't think anybody's like really seen the full video and you watch, like I said, watch the full video and make your assessment. I mean, I think like 
you'll watch that video and be like, damn, like they really fucking, you know, were full of shit in the press about. I, I, I'd like to see that video. I, I just don't want to lose this one because of breaking terms of service or whatever. Oh, um, got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No problem. You, you know how the censorship can be. Um, I want, I, I want to kind of bring this back full circle to talking about what we were talking about before and just kind of the body of work that I've done relating to you. I've, yep. I've certainly tried in my career making videos to be fair in my assessment of what people are doing. I have done a lot of poking fun at people and poking fun at people includes short edited clips that are for humor. And I think when you have a very short clip of someone in a way that's funny, I think that people recognize that that's a joke. So when I take a small clip and I place it next to someone saying something in where it's out of, out of context or out of position, whatever you want to say out, out of order, it's done so in, in a humorous way. And I think the audience can tell when that's happening. And I think a lot of the clips that you're, you've been upset that I put together were jokes. I mean, I would disagree. I think Bill Perkins would, I mean, I know Bill Perkins disagrees. Um, I have two other videos. I mean, I have the one about GG where you kind of like chop that up and, and Bill actually feels like that one's more of a misrepresentation than the, than the prior one. Um, I have those here. If you want to see those, those are actually yeah. pretty short. We should have uploaded all these beforehand. How do you upload that? Um, I have it on here. Let's see here. I can. All right. Bear it. with us one moment for the check guys. If you're there. an audio listener. Okay. Here we go. Cool. Well, that seems like it's easy. Half of oh, it nice. talking about something else other than. Okay, here we go. Then they spent half of it talking about something else other than dissing me, and it was just a random... The floor guy had to go out to the blackjack table or, or whatever, the poker gift, or whatever the fuck it was. I don't know, sort of attack at me for using solvers or something. What was that? What did I just watch? What am I... What, what, what was this video? It's confusing. Okay, so it clearly was not about you, and this is the original one. Um... This is it. It's uploaded. So you can play that. All right, you've managed to figure out how to use this platform pretty well. I actually feel like I, I know less about it than you. Um, where's the Where's the other one? Let's see here. Did it not pop up? Okay. Oh, is it this one? It's you have taken into account. You I'm know, not, with the, the old oh, one. it said only three. Maybe I can delete here. one of these. Yeah, I'm gonna delete one of the old ones. Oh, let's see. Uh, there we go. I got it out. Nice. Let's take a look at this one. Nice fish tank. Thank you. An ideal fun table for you. A bunch of Saudis that don't. What would be an ideal fun table for you? A bunch of Saudis that don't know what beats what. Have you played with with people like that? I actually, um, I think it was in 2008. I won, fuck, what was it? It was like, uh, I don't know, it was around a half million dollar pot at the Bellagio in, uh, in Bobby's room. And the floor guy had to go out to the blackjack table or, or whatever, the poker gift, or whatever the fuck it was, the gift shop, and buy a card that ranked poker hands so that the guy knew that my full house beat his flush. That's what I miss about fucking poker. Don't okay, so clearly I'm making fun of the fact that the video is titled Doug Polk. What's the title of this video? Where is this? I mean, they titled it, I'm much better than Doug Polk. But I mean, I think the premise there was that I was like clearly not talking about you. And then you kind of like misrepresented it that I was like talking about you and solvers and like want to make me look stupid and whatever. Like I said, I no, think that, that, that's not what happened there. What happened there was the video is titled, I'm much better than Doug Polk. I clicked it. 
The first half is talking about me. The second half is just random stuff that has nothing to do with I'm much better than Doug Polk. And in my video, I'm confused about that. I mean, I feel like it was pretty clear what I was talking about there. I mean, I say, you know, rich Saudis, guys that don't know how to, you know, uh, play poker. And then I give a reference of a guy that literally, I mean, lost a half a million dollar pot and didn't know that a full house beat a flush, you know? Yeah, but dude, what if I posted a video and it said, I am much better than Dan Bulzarian. And then in the first half, you literally do. You put my name in your video and then it's like 18 minutes of like nonsense. And then I'm at the end for like 30 seconds. You've done that. Sure. But what if I did this? I post the video and I say, I'm much better than Devil's Area. And in the first minute, I talk about how much better I am. And in the second, I talk about my favorite spaghetti restaurants. I mean, but you literally... If I did, did that and you, you made a video... You did the opposite of that. You, you you put my name in there and then you talk about like fucking Phil Hellmuth and all this other tournament shit for 20 minutes. And then at the end, you like get to me. So you, that's fine. If you want to make fun of me for that, that's fine. But what I'm saying is if I make a video and I, and I said I'm much better than Devil's Area and I lead with being better than you and then I fill out half a minute talking about pasta... And then you make a video and you say, what the fuck is that shit? And I go, oh, and now you're going to take my pasta quotes out of – it doesn't well, matter. They're well, separate. Well, first of all, I, I didn't put up this video. This video was done by GG Poker. I had nothing to do with it, number one. I didn't label it. I didn't edit it. I had nothing to do with it, number, you know, number two. But that being said, I'm talking about poker throughout the whole video. It's not like we're going to pasta. It's not some other subject. So while we talk about you, we're talking about poker. They chose to label the video that. I don't I don't control okay, that. that's not right? my fault. That's not my fault The GG no, no, did that. What I'm saying is your video is talking about like, you know, you took a clip of that where I'm talking about this, this guy that didn't know hand rankings. And you're like, is this an attack on me about solvers? And it's like, obviously not about you or solvers. So- it's a misrepresentation of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about maybe there's a little bit of confusion here in that I say that after it shows that clip. And I understand that it is a tiny bit confusing. But what I'm saying in this clip is this half of the video doesn't make sense for this title of the video. We can agree on that, right? We can agree that this is a weirdly titled video for the well, half that they included. I mean, it starts with you. I mean, like I said, you've done a you've done plenty of videos where it's about it's about me, but or you you say that it's about me, but then you literally talk about like everybody else for twenty minutes. Sure, and, then and you can make me. and you can make fun of me for that, and that's just the game. That's I, fine. I, I get it, but like I said, that you're you're like pointing out that that's fucked up when you do that. I'm and not I do this. I'm not pointing you. out that it's fucked up. I'm po- pointing out that it's funny. Those are different. It's funny to have I'm much better than Doug Polk, and then a half of the video is about hand rankings. That's well, no, that's it was, funny. It was, it, she asked me who I like to play against because I was saying that you guys play. If you if you watch the beginning of the video, I talk about you guys playing against really good players. And I'm saying I was always trying to do the opposite. I was trying to play against bad players. And then she said, OK, well, what's your dream scenario? And I'm like a bunch of rich Saudis that don't know hands. And then I gave an example. So I think it's like very congruent with the video. It's not like some random pasta example interjected at the end. It's like very congruent and it ties into the video and it ties into exactly what I was talking about, which is, you know, you and the online players playing against a pool of like really good you know, players and like eking it out. And the beginning of this video was like whether or not, you know, I was you know, I could compete with you. I'm better than you or whatever. And I said, I believe that I'm a better poker player than Doug Polk in the sense that I have used, you know, all the tools in poker, which is like game selection, which is, you know, understanding table image, getting people to play bad against you. I mean, there's so many aspects of poker that aren't just playing the best GTO, you know, strategy or whatever. And, you know, and a lot of people overlook those, you know, like, for instance, Phil Helmuth, he gets like a lot of shit, but the guy does win a lot of fucking tournaments. So like, 
you know, is he fundamentally a sound player? No, but like he does win a lot. Like his results are pretty good. And so like, what is he doing that's giving him good results? Is he just playing, you know, is he getting people to play bad against him? Is he good at reading people? I don't know like exactly how Phil Helmuth wins as much as he does. Cause I think he's fucking terrible, but like, regardless, you know, the results are the results. And to me, when I say, you know, in poker, your bank account is the scoreboard. I'm saying that not in the sense of, you know, where you're trying to talk about like Bezos. I'm like, no, for people that play poker for a living, the bank account is the scoreboard. That is how well they've done, in my opinion, you know, like, and so part of that is taking shots. Part of that's not going broke. Part of that's bankroll management. Part of that's picking good horses. I mean, there's a million things to like making money as a poker player. And I think the online community hyper focuses on just like who plays the best GTO exploitative strategy and blah, blah, blah. Well, because it's hard, dude. I mean, it's the same reason why when we look at the pinnacle of anything, we have a lot of, uh, of, we have a lot of respect for these people. We don't respect top basketball players because they make a lot of money. You respect them because they're really good at basketball. Part of that well, is they make a lot of a, a lot of money. But when you look at the top, when you talk about the top poker players, it's really very, very, very difficult to get good at poker. And that's that's what people are are having pride in, being good at the I, game. I, I get that, and that's a part of it. But part of being good at the game, in my opinion, is getting people to play bad against you, understanding how they're viewing you, understanding how you can exploit the way they view you, understanding how they play when, they, when they're when they steamed, understanding how they're going to play versus you, understanding how they're going to play when you put a lot of pressure on them, how they're going to play when they're losing versus, you know, when they're winning. There's so many different factors, how they're going to play, you know, if you fuck their girlfriend or how they're going to play if they've, you know, been getting slaughtered in the market or how they're going to play if they're fucking drunk or, you know, whatever. They're high on cocaine and they're not looking at their goddamn cards. I mean, there's a lot of different aspects, you know, in the private games that you have to take into account that a lot of like on, online guys don't even think about. And Yeah, so- but you're talking a lot of shit about the guys that are doing something very hard at a really high level. The top people who play poker have to work extremely difficult and are very sharp, smart people. And the reason that people have respect and have respect for those people is because what they're doing is way harder than is the guy who's tilted about the market's going to tilt his face off right now. It's a lot harder to, to I, like to know what 6% raise is in a spot. I disagree. I mean, I think one of them is a lot of rote memorization, a lot of work. And the other one is like understanding social cues. It's, it's, it's like understanding social dynamics it's, you know, it's positioning yourself to be in good spots. It's taking risks when you might not want to take risks. It's understanding how you're being perceived. It's understanding psychology. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, how, how you know, as Andrew Roble, how can I get into these games? Hey, if I stake the guy that's running the games that everybody perceives as being a shitty player, will that get me access? If I say, hey, the game's not going to get set up and Robert's not going to play if I'm not in there. Like he thought outside the box. He was able to weasel his way into these games and he made a shitload of money. Antonio took a different approach. Antonio started doing private games. And because he ran private games, he was able to take pieces of pros. He was able to get tips. He was able to interject himself into the game when the game got short and beat the guys for big money when they were tired. I mean, there's many ways to skin a fucking cat here. And what I'm saying is I think the poker community overlooks a lot of these different ways because a lot of these guys are quietly fucking taking tens of millions of dollars out of the fucking poker, you know, world without being noticed. Like I said, like Andrew Robo, like fucking Antonio Espandiari, whereas these guys online, I mean, I don't know, dude, I don't see a lot of these guys online making a shitload of fucking money because they're playing against a bunch of fucking like super good players, which is fine. Like hats off to them, respect, like. They're good at what they do, but to then go and say like, oh, this is like the only thing that's respectable, I just disagree. And I think the game's a lot more dynamic than they make it out to be. Who's saying that's the only thing that's respectable? 
well, when they say that, you know, it's impossible for me to have won, you know, in poker and blah, blah, blah. And like this and that, I'm not good enough to win. It's like, okay, you know, well, I did. Who, who says it's impossible for you to win? I, I don't understand. Well, I mean, after watching your videos, there was a lot of videos that surfaced online and a lot of people that were like talking shit about the Ignite thing that were referencing your videos and like your depiction of like my Rogan answer, you know, and a lot of those people latched onto that and then was like, oh, well, Doug Polk's a respected guy in the poker community, which you obviously are and your opinion is respected. So when you say something, people listen, whether you think it's a joke or not, it has implications and those implications you know, turned out to being that people think, oh, you know, I'm full of shit or I'm not telling the truth when I fucking was. And so it's like for a lot of my life, I didn't really care, like I said, because it was gaining me access to those games. But, you know, I mean, I don't know. I, I take a lot of pride in my word and everybody that knows me knows that I'm a fucking honest guy. I mean, there's a reason why people loan me millions of fucking dollars in third world countries that don't, you know, without an IOU. It's like because I've always fucking paid my debts. I've always been honorable. I've always fucking kept my word. And, you know, people that know me know that. So, when, you know, that gets questioned and when people talk shit and say that I'm dishonest, that bothers me. I don't care well, if people say so I'm an asshole. I don't care if they suck at poker, like none of that. But like the honesty thing does bother me. Taking a step back here and looking at this from my view, we see you have ma- you have millions of dollars. You come from a very rich family. And I'm supposed to believe that you've made every dollar from poker. You got nothing from your family and that you are one of the greatest winning poker players of all time. And in all my content, hold on, let me finish. Hold on, let me finish. Okay. In all my content, I have not said that that is impossible. That's not true. What I've said very consistently is that is very unlikely to me. I've said that time and time again. And then when other people want to quote me and say that, if then they go farther steps from there, that's really not my problem. That's their problem because I've said that very specifically. I mean, you've def. I mean, I think there was one situation where you were like, you know, I you played the clip where I said that I made all my money from poker, and you're like bullshit, or you said something like basically like I'm a fucking astronaut, I believe is what you're talking about. Something, yeah, you know, basically like he's full of shit. I mean, you know, in so many words. So, I mean, and it's fine. Listen, you've got the right to your opinion, and I'm not like I'm not actually upset about that um, because I don't have I don't have a right to be upset about that. You can have your opinion. You can look at me and be like, hey, his parents had money. I've watched him play. I think he fucking sucks. Whatever. My assessment is that he didn't make his money. That's fine. You know, I I don't have a problem with that. Um, I get it. You know, but you also could ask around. You know, you know enough of of mutual friends of ours. You could do some digging and do some research. You could even have called me on the phone, ask me mine. Because you know, if I was reporting a story, I one of the things that I have learned, and I've made this mistake, so I'm not going to hold it against you. But um, you know, I have judged people before I've spoken to them, or I've just listened to one side of the story. And so many times when I hear the other side of the story, I'm like, oh well, fuck. If I would have known that, you know, whatever. And so you don't, you can ask me, you don't have to believe me. You don't even have to fucking like, you know, take it all in, but like, just hear the side and then make your assessment, right? Like you don't have to like, because I said something, be like, oh, well, Dan said this, you don't have to include it if you don't believe it. But I'm just saying I would ask and I would listen, you know, but that's just me. I, you know, I also am not really like making YouTube videos and reporting the news or whatever. But to me, I think like journalists should have, I don't know. I I think they should have some um, obligation to do as much research as they can um, before reporting the news. And like, you know, for instance, before this podcast, I asked Bill to have you read the gambling section because I felt like, you know, look, and you said to him, you know, oh, well, just because he wrote it doesn't mean it's true. Okay, that's fine. But like, you'd at least hear my side and then you could make your assessment. You could be like, listen, I've read the book. I think you're full of shit. I've talked to you. I think you're full of shit. 
that's fine. You know, you can have your opinion. Um, but I would just get the information. Like when I, when I, well, make let, it, here's, here's the problem with that though. I can. The problem with that is what, and this happens to me a lot, right? Every single time I say something and the person doesn't like it, they go, you fucked up. You're wrong. You did the wrong thing. You, and so what happens is now I, I put a lot of content out in the world and I, I do research what I, what I talk about and anything that I bring up factually, I have clips and evidence or, or even just like factual stuff from, from articles and I show those, but then people tell me, oh, you fucked up. You're wrong because they don't like what I did. And then what happens is now every story that comes up, it's, it starts to become expected of me that I need to talk to everyone. I need to have a uh, have calls. I need to go back and forth. I need to do this, and that's it's not realistic for me no, listen, to cover I, every story like that. And and then then it turns into who do I just give preference to some people or not other people? And it, it gets down this road of I'm just reporting what I see happening online, and I'm giving caveats like I did in the vast majority of content on you, other than the parts where I was clearly making a joke. When I say I'm a fucking astronaut, I'm not in the uh, the uh, I'm not at the academy training to go to the moon. I'm, I'm just, I'm no, joking. You're saying that I'm a liar, which, you know, is fine. You, I actually don't have a problem with you saying that I'm a liar and saying that you don't believe what I said. I actually, I don't have a problem. That's your opinion. And you have a right to the opinion. What I do have a problem with is you misrepresenting my answers when you're chopping up videos. And basically when I said, people think that I got my money from my parents and you chop it to where I say, I got my money from my parents. That is an absolute misrepresentation of what I've said. And also in the beginning of that video, when you chop up a bunch of ums and then cut over to Joe Rogan's response, which was not a response to what I was saying at the time and make me look like a liar, that I have issue with because now you're fucking, you know, you're basically fabricating my answer and you're making it fit your narrative. And that's, you know, that to me is dishonest. I think that a lot of those clips are quite clearly in jest. I disagree. I I, I mean, like I I said, I would bet you on it. Bill will also bet you on it. And we can have, you know, and, you know, we can just pick somebody like Phil Galfond, like somebody that you respect that you think would be. I don't know, man. Last last ruling I went to from Phil Galfond, my opponent was taking 30 seconds to play their button. And he said that he thought it might have been okay. I I don't know if I can go back to him. Maybe not him. I'm just throwing a name out. Maybe it's Brian Rast. I mean, I don't know. Somebody that we both believe would, you know, and when it doesn't have to be a million, it could be less, whatever you want. But like the point is, I'm willing to bet that somebody that watches these clips would say that you're misrepresenting and mischaracterizing what I'm saying and you're not being fair. And, and it's not what you said to Bill about, you know, like, oh, I'm just, you know, I don't remember what the fucking quote was. I mean, I can read it, but I, I don't feel like it was um, what you said was I reported the facts accurately and was fair in my assessment of likely events. I disagree. I don't think that's reporting the facts accurately because you mischaracterize what I said. So by definition, you're not reporting the facts accurately. Well, let me say this then. The moment that I start to make jokes, which is people, if you've watched my content, I don't, you probably have not. I make a lot of jokes in my content. Usually they're pretty bad. It's a very, it's a, it's a very common theme of my videos is I make jokes about things. Keeping that in mind, when you watch one of my videos, you know at some point I'm going to poke fun at stuff and tell jokes. You so can tell jokes, you have, but what I'm saying is you you don't misrepresent people's answers. That's not what you do. Like when you when you cut out what I said and you said my parents gave me all my money, people will take that and be like, Dan is admitting that his parents gave him all his money. And when Joe Rogan asked me, did you get your money from poker? And you had me do this stumbling tirade where I said that's a and you take out a key this, word, which is that's a common misconception. You took out a key phrase there that I said immediately. That's a common misconception. And just go to me stuttering and okay. then talk to a thing. The, that's, you're misrepresenting my answer. 
But and so by definition, I think that that's you know mischaracterizing and it's not honest. And so I, I, I'm willing to say, say joke. I disagree. I'm willing to say that the parents gave me all the money bit was over the line. I'm fine. I'm I'm fine admitting that. The stumbling one, I'm not willing to because you danced around the question for several minutes saying, um, and, and, no, and the first thing not that answering I said directly. is that's a, it's a common misconception. And he said it's a weird thing. It's, I said, it's a common misconception. It's the first thing I said. And then I said, it's a weird thing because having the trust fund gave me access to these games. So I never really told anybody. That was the first interview that I ever really said that I made my money from poker because up until that point, I was playing a lot of these fucking private games and playing a lot of fucking big high stakes. And I didn't want people to think that I had made all my money from poker. So I just never answered the question. The reason that I know that my bit makes sense is because Joe Rogan had to then ask you again, the same question, because you did a loop of talking about a bunch of stuff and then didn't answer the question. And And when I I, it very directly, and then you did, but I'm making fun of the, the loop that we went on that was not the answer to the question. And I think putting together clips of you not answering the question is actually fair in that, in that scenario. I, I will admit that the other one is over the line. I, it's I completely over the line. It's the like, other asking, one is, yeah, I'm with you. like asking somebody like, did you rape this girl? And I'm like, I did not rape this girl. And we you can, took out we the can, fucking we, not. I mean, we so, don't need the, we don't need the rape examples. I think maybe, maybe we, example, uh, like, did you kill this person? I did not kill them. And then you chop out the knot. I did kill them. I mean, it's just a, it's an absolute okay. misrepresentation of what I said. You couldn't have misrepresented it anymore. I, I, I thought in that moment that that clip was clearly a joke because it was a short clip. And obviously, in my opinion, I thought we were joking around. But in retrospect, I think that that was a little over the line. But the first one, you have to be able to admit that when he asked you that, you did a loop and you did say um a bunch and you went down different paths that weren't answering the question. Because I didn't really want to answer the question because I was playing fucking high stakes. But but I didn't. What's wrong with that? Because you made it seem like I was lying and I was not fucking lying. I was explaining why I was like, well, you know, it's funny because a lot of people think that I had this fucking trust fund, but my parents didn't actually give me any money. And so I go under this explanation of the of the whole thing and how that gave me access to the games and how I leaned on that and why I leaned on that, you know, um, you know, thing, which was not which was not like the cause of me getting money like i didn't get it till i was 39 so it's like you know people thought that i did i did actually have a trust fund i just didn't have access to it so it was a weird thing because i did have it people asked me if i had it i said i had it that's what got me into the games but it didn't do me any good financially like i had no access to that well so it was a weird thing it wasn't like a a direct answer because i did have a trust fund i used that to get into games that like helped my image people talked about it but I didn't have access to it. Yeah, but my my video, you've said this here today. You didn't know if you wanted to answer or not because it was a big decision. And when he asked you, you did say a lot of random things and um, and maybe not it random wasn't in really your mind. Random. I was okay. Forget the random. You said a lot of things about poker or about money or about your money, but you did not answer the question that he was getting at. And my clip was putting together small parts of that. That showed that you didn't exactly know if you wanted to answer or not. And that was the that was the joke that I was making about it. I mean, dude, so- you, you literally had a reaction from him that looked like, oh, this guy's full of shit that you just threw in there. Then you extended, you took out my answers, and then you basically said, and then you had a clip in there where it said, My parents gave me money. And then you cut to my parents. It's like you couldn't have misrepresented that and made it fit your narrative any more than you did. Like you literally made me look like I was lying. And that I got all my money from my parents. And that's what I was saying. So like, I don't know how you could not consider that a mischaracterization 
of like what happened, but like most people aren't going to go and then go from that to watch a three hour Joe Rogan interview and cut to the 30 minute mark to find that and find out what I actually really said. So they're just going to take your clip. And that's what they did when they made all these YouTube videos talking shit. And they're just like, Oh, well, you know, Doug Polk said this and look at Dan's answer when Joe Rogan asked him, you know, and Dan said specifically that his parents gave him the money. So it's like, that's they're They're quoting someone who they're quoting me without doing any research on what I said. So basically they're just trying to take my clip where I'm trying to make a joke. It was a bad joke. It was out of line. And I've admitted that three times down this podcast for that one, but that's also, they have some responsibility there. And additionally, I'm, I'm defending the first part of this, not the second. I mean, regardless, like I said, even if we just focus on the second, it's just a misrepresentation of what was said and it's totally out of context. And you, if you want to just say that, that it's a joke, I mean, and try and use that as like an excuse, I think it's a it's a misrepresentation. I think it's a gross misrepresentation. I think it's as gross a misrepresentation as you could get. And I think other people would agree with me. And that's why I was offering the bet. It's not like a posturing thing. It's not like, you know, whatever to get clicks. It's like, I really believe well, that I'm right. I know that you probably believe that you're right. Bill agrees with me. We're both willing to put our money where our mouth is. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. It's like, to me, I think it's either, you know, take the bet or it's an apology, whatever. But, you know, you can't change the past. But I think it was pretty egregious. And I think it's like definitely done damage. And I think people, you know, would assume that I'm full of shit because of that. I think a lot of conclusions have been drawn because of that. I think you have a lot of respect in the poker world. And with respect comes responsibility. You know, like I realize that my fucking platform is big. So if I ever use my platform to like talk shit about somebody and then found out what I said wasn't true, I would feel a moral obligation to correct that. Here, here's how I feel about this. How I feel is that I've been extremely measured on my takes about you overall. I've done a lot of videos and the vast majority of them have been very fair. And I have set a lot of caveats and I, and I've in places been overly nice about the likelihood of you winning money. And I've said, it's likely you've won money. And then I have one moment where there's an edited clip that was an attempt at a joke, whether, whether it ended up being a joke or not, it was an attempt to be funny. And then it didn't hit and it was a little over the line. And now it's like, Doug fucked up. Doug's wrong here. What about all of the good things they did? And what about the fact that there, there is some precedent here, Dan. <laughs> that things? I mean, I would also all the, argue what that about all the other stuff I've said, this is, this is, this reminds me a little bit where, and it's an old argument I'd have from Negreanu where Negreanu would say, Doug only just, he only makes money from tagging people. But then you look at my stats. It's like 85% of my views are or 80% or whatever it is now are from teaching people how to play poker. And so, yes, I'm a human being. I've done hundreds of videos. It's totally possible for me to make a mistake. And, and I think that the editing on that wasn't clear enough that it was a joke. So I, I'll admit that. But at the same time, my overall character of your work or my overall representation of your work and who you are has been very fair. I mean, you know, I, I would disagree. I mean, I think because you've done some videos that were not completely slanderous, um, that that doesn't excuse this one. And so to me, it's like, you know, I, I don't think any of your videos were positive in any way, shape or form. I mean, they certainly didn't help me in any way. I mean, they, they got a bunch of like people in the poker world saying that, oh, Dan sucks at poker. He didn't make his money in poker. I mean, that was the narrative that you're pushing. So to try and like pretend like your videos helped me out for the most part, but that this one was bad or this one crossed the line, I, mean, I just totally I, disagree. I will bet you 100K that my most popular video on you is fair and we can pick a panel why why are we why are, why are you picking and choosing one video it's, it's the it's the one that is the most popular it's the biggest video 
Okay. Well, I mean, I would argue that, you know, if, if we look at what I've put out about you versus what you put out about me, but that's not what we're talking about here, right? Well, it kind of is like, you've put out something about me. That's, that's completely slanderous and false. And you're pointing to another video and be like, well, I did this video and this one wasn't bad. It's like, that doesn't excuse it. Like, you know, you basically saying that I'm a liar and, and misquoting me saying that my parents gave me my money when that's the opposite of what I said. I mean, I think that's egregious. And like what, I said, what, what more do you want for me here than to say that when I did that, it was a joke. And I think that it was over the line and wrong. What more do you yeah. want? I mean, I mean I, I've said that I, I can say it a sixth time. I can say it a seventh time. No, I, I, time? I, I think I think one apology okay. is it. I and I, and I would well, like it that not one. to be characterized as a joke. I'd just be like, listen, I fucked up. I don't. I think this was wrong, and I'm sorry. And that, and we'll never talk about it again. Right, but but what I'm talking about is I've probably covered you for hours. Okay, and there was one clip edited joke, and then you're saying I mean, I that the beginning was you, not okay either. I mean, I think you the just way said you to talk, me that you think that the over overall. The overall work that I've done has not been fair. And I think that it has been fair. And I think that the most popular video does matter a lot that that one is fair. That's, I, that's what I, people, I, most people I, have seen. I, I disagree and I would bet. <laughs> so I don't okay. know. Like so I, I, obviously I, I can't bet you on this one line that I, I've already said sorry for. But I, I, I'm I mean, willing listen, to bet. If you've apologized for that, then that's all that needs to be said. Okay. I apologize for that one. I'm not, I'm not caving on the other one. The ums, the ums stand. I mean, okay. I, I think I think the whole thing was out of line. I mean, you've got your opinion. You apologize for what you feel like is is out of line. I mean, that's I mean, you know, that's your prerogative. I, you know, I like I said, I, I don't think that the video was fair, and I think that a lot of people believe that I didn't make my money because of that, and I think that it's had a negative impact. Um, so you know, you got clicks and you know you got views and whatever, but I, you know. I don't know. Like I said, it's a, it's a difference of opinion. Um, we don't have to harp on it. I mean, I've explained my side. We've, you know, we've seen the video and, you know, people can make their decision. Um, uh, what, about, what about an argument that we had a few years ago where on Twitter, where you misquoted me? What did I say? It was, we talked back and forth and you said that, let me pull this up. Okay. I will pull this up here. I don't want to show my DMs. That seems to happen every time I fucking pull this up. Yeah, let's see who's sliding in those motherfuckers. (laughs) It's no no one fun, man. (laughs) Unless you like old older dudes that play poker, then 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 maybe. All right, let's see here. Mine are mostly dudes too. Nice. Okay. So let's see here. It was in this argument where we were talking about. Oh, here we go. Where is this? Where is this? I'm going to take a piss real quick. I'll be right back. Yeah, this is getting pretty off topic anyway. 20 seconds. Where did this go? I feel like this was in here somewhere. Yeah, I have to find this different time chat. Selling my Bitcoin was at sixty-five point five k was wrong, huh? Eh, some things don't age well. <laughs> it's all good. 
Where is this? There's a quote in here somewhere. I don't know why I can't find this. Get it? I can't I can't find the exact quote, but here is my response to it. So There's something in here cuz this is responding to something that you said and I was looking at this earlier today. Okay, you said I didn't make my money playing poker. I, there's another quote here that I can't find. It must have been a different combo. But yeah, I mean, you, you've told me several times, and I'm just going to close, close Twitter because I can't, I can't find this quickly anyway. Um, you've told me several times, Dan, that there are quotes that I've said about you that, that aren't true. Like, like, for example, you've said this a bunch today. You said that I said that you didn't make, your money, you didn't make money in poker. You didn't win $50 million in poker. You messaged me that yesterday. I never said that. I was paraphrasing. I mean, I wasn't like directly quoting you, obviously. I'm just saying like, if you watch that video and you're like, yeah, and I'm an astronaut, that's to me is you saying that I didn't fucking make the money in poker. So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I if you want to split hairs, I mean, I didn't give you a direct quote that was false. I just said, you're basically saying that I didn't make my money from poker, which I think is a very fair statement considering the videos that you put out and the statements you made. No, so, in my videos, I said that you made money in poker. You said it's said, very. You said you said it's extremely unlikely that I made all my money from. I don't remember. Like I said, you've done so many videos. I I can't quote you, but the general gist of it, if you watch, that's I feel. But the general <laughs> gist of it, if you watch them, is that I did that. I got my money from my dad, and that I didn't play poker, and both of those are, or that I didn't make my money from poker, and both of those are untrue, or that I didn't make all my money from poker. I yeah. literally made every fucking dollar, every significant dollar from poker. I mean, that's that was my only source of income. Other than like, you know, I made fucking half a million dollars funding a movie or, you know what I mean? Little shit that doesn't matter. But the point is like, I was a professional poker player and the bulk of my income came from poker and it was, and it was no help from my parents whatsoever. So, you know, I don't know how I could be more clear about that. I mean, like I said, I, you don't have to believe me if you want to read the sure. book, it literally lines it out in there. Like who I won money from when the exact timeline. But the thing is the book doesn't, Dan, the book doesn't really prove anything. It's your book. No, I have people in there. I have Andrew Robel gives a fucking full statement in there. Antonio Spandiari gives a full statement. Um, Rick Solomon gives a statement. Um, Mike Matisau does a vignette. Um, you know, there's multi, you know, Dan Fleischman. There's like multiple people, Molly Bloom, um, Rick, you know, I mean, there's, there's tons of credible people in the poker world that have done vignettes in the book talking about, you know, my playing poker, my, my, my experience with them. I mean, I could read you Andrew Robles. I mean, he basically said that he didn't think that I was a great poker player, but he saw tons of people play super fucking bad against me. And I always ended up with all the fucking the money. Question, so, the question though is, is these people aren't going to know your finances. And that's really the point here. The point is where the money came with from. Me for 12 years, he's going to know if I'm a winning player. I mean, he, you know, he yeah, has to take pieces of me. So, I mean, if he thought that I sucked, he probably wouldn't have done that. So when you, what you said to me was you've made numerous statements saying I'm not a winning player that I got my bank. I didn't get my bankroll from poker and I didn't win $50 million in poker. I have never done the first or third thing for sure. And even the second one, I said, it's very unlikely. So you have said things, you have misquoted my, what you believe to be. I mean, that's in a text to you. That's not what I'm putting on the internet. It's a big difference. You like, said something similar on the internet. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll like, find the like best. I, I, I don't think that what I'm saying, uh, that like, I don't think I'm mischaracterizing, you know, 
your statements or your thoughts towards me and you know what I've done in the poker community. I mean, I think if people watched your videos, I think the takeaway would be that A, I suck at poker, B, my dad gave me my money, and C, that I did not win all my money from poker. I think those are three very fair statements that if we had people sit down and watch your videos, they would come away with that conclusion that you thought that those three things. They would, they would come away with the conclusion that those things are the most likely result. Yeah. Because well, no, I they said would come away with, they would come away with the conclusion that that's what you believe. Okay. Well, what, like, what, what am I supposed to do then when I say I believe and I think? What, what, how is that well, my it's, fault it's if fine. then they leave, I, like, they leave said, thinking that? No, no. I, listen, I, I didn't want to come on here talking about that. Like I said, you have the right to believe whatever you want. Like I'm not here telling you what you need to believe and that you're an asshole for saying that you think that I'm a liar or whatever. My issue is you misrepresenting what I'm saying and you cutting up clips to mischaracterize my responses. You can have whatever opinion you want. Yeah, I, I would appreciate okay. it if it was a little Let bit me, more based on fact, but like that's not the issue. The issue is the mischaracterization. What about this? Last year, you said on GG Poker that you that I said I'd give you 10 to 1 odds in a match for a million to 10 million. Remember saying that? I think I think you did say that, or you I never stopped. said no, that. No, 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 it wasn't you. It was Herolibus, I think, that said that. Herolibus said that he would give me ten to one if I played you. It wasn't about you. Yeah. So mine. you posted online and said Doug said he'd give me ten to one. His no, ten. I didn't million. say Doug. You said did. That. You said it in the chat. Yes, you did. I saw I, this online, and then everyone sent it to me, and I said that's not true. So no, what about I said, that? I, no, I said I would get ten to one on playing Doug Polk or something like that. But it was coming from Herolibus because he's the one that offered me it, and then he retracted it. Okay. So I would play you for sure, ten to one, all day, every day, like, and that's what he offered, and I happily accepted. But then he didn't want to do it, which is fine, whatever. But like, yeah, I mean, I think that I could train and get reasonably close to your level i mean I, you're obviously you've spent your fucking life doing this so like you're going to be better that's your specialty but i think that i could get good enough to where if i was spotted enough big blinds or given enough odds that i would be a favorite what would be the the environment for playing could be online live whatever hmm. i have to think about that i got to be careful with levying these heads up challenges last time i did it as a bluff and i and i ended up getting called and i had to play a heads up challenge for six months yeah it was no. a bit of a detour you, I remember you needling me about that too. I lost yeah. my first couple of sessions. You too. Congrats. I hear you're killing it. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? I won. What I now? Saw that. I saw yeah. That. Yeah. How about that? I felt like Daniel did not put enough pressure on you. That was my thought. I felt like you were not, I felt like you were always putting him to decisions and he was not. And I feel like in a heads up match, that's an important meta. And I think that that's going to cause him to play a bit more timid and I think you're going to get paid off more and you're going to get away with more shit, obviously. And you're just going to take control of the match. And when you have control of a heads up match and you're in the driver's seat, I think you've got a pretty big advantage. And so, uh, you know, and I think you're going to be able to predict what he's going to do better in that driver's seat. So well, I, heads up, just very aggressive in general. Yeah. You, you have to be bluffing and calling people pretty constantly and you have to be putting people in spots and, I think if you come from a full ring background, it's hard to then change gears and the mindset and move from playing in these full ring games where you have to play very tight and then now really gunning for it because in heads up, every pot you lose, they win and vice versa. So you can't just you know throw in the towel and and just wait for wait for spots. I, I mean, to be fair to Daniel, he did learn a lot of stuff that was good, but um, yeah, no, heads, his, his game, heads up's his, tough, dude. Heads up's very tough. 
It is. I, and I think it's easier to go from heads up to ring than, than vice versa, because a lot of the principles and heads up can be carried over and ring when you raise preflop and you get one caller and you are heads up or you're against two guys. I mean, I think there's a lot of like principles and board texture stuff and like, you know, whatever range construction, like a lot of things that you're doing and heads up will apply. But the, the opposite, I don't think I think the opposite will fuck you up because you're just going to you're not going to have your foot on the gas like you should. And you're not going to be putting pressure like you should if you're a full ring guy that doesn't really understand heads up. So I was more of a heads up player um, I because I just naturally had ADD and I wanted to play more hands and I just liked it. All right. So we, we, this has been a, a long enough podcast. I, I want to say thanks for coming on. I want I, I do want to say one a couple last things. First off, I'll try to be a little more aware with the parts that I'm trying to joke are clearly more clearly jokes and then also not aggressively editing in that way where it, it is extremely misleading so I, I'll, I'll be a little bit more aware on that i do have to say one last thing to say though I, I i think that there's no need for you to brag so much in in a lot of the things that you say you constantly throw in the millions and the jets and the this and the that like i think a lot of that stuff comes across a, a lot weaker than just you know being rich you know let the fish tank speak for you i don't i don't see a reason to to, to have to throw that stuff in all the time yeah. I mean, I hear you. I also had like, you know, a long runway of success where I never got any credit for it too. So, you know, I guess maybe the bragging is overcompensating for that. When I basically had to take it on the chin and everybody used to think that I was a fucking shitty poker player. I got all my money from my dad and I was like actually out there fucking grinding my ass off, going through the stress of the swings of poker. And, you know, and, and like I said, I got, I got no credit for it, which is fine. I got the money. I'd rather have the fucking money than the credit. That was always my thing. But I guess now that I'm out of poker, you know, like I've stopped playing so much poker, I feel like, you know, I should get credit where credit's due. And I made the money. I earned that fucking jet. I bought it myself and I'm pretty proud of it. So I don't know. And how I, much I, was the jet? Uh, I don't know. I think it was, fuck man. I bought that thing like eight years ago. So I don't know. I spent like a million bucks on like the interior and the fucking Wi-Fi. I mean, I was like pretty happy with it. Honestly, like the cost of the jet isn't as much as like the annual, like every year that you keep a jet, like just operating it is like a million and a half, $2 million a year minimum. Like even if you're not flying it. So, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, it was a big milestone, you know, it's a lot of flexibility. And so I guess like when people were talking shit to me, it's like, motherfucker, you're not on my level. You're not where I'm at. So like, I don't know. I, I just, I, I would remind them of that. Why, why, why do you have to care what people think? Right? Like, I don't understand. Like, why, why, why do you need people? If you know you earned all your money and you're happy about it, why does everyone need to know that? What, what aren't you okay just knowing that you did? I, it? I mean, for the bulk of the bulk of my poker career, nobody did know that, and and whatever. It was. It's just. It's my integrity when that comes in question that bothers me because I'm like, I take a lot of pride in it because I don't feel like a lot of people are honest, and I feel like you know Benny Binion had a good quote. He's like, people are honest as long as they can afford to be. You know, and I think it's probably one of the rarest things. And it's one of the things that I like the most about Bill is that I feel like no matter what, he's always going to fucking shoot me straight and be honest. And so when people question my integrity, that bothers me. And so a part of this has become a question of my integrity. I don't care. Like, I never cared about people like give me a high five for my fucking poker wins or any of that shit. It was, you know, the more recent stuff where they're like, oh, Dan's full of shit. Like, he's lying about this. He's lying about that. That's what bothered me. Okay. All right. Fair. All right. That's going to be it here from the pod. It was a interesting one to say the least. Thanks, Dan, for coming on. All right. I appreciate it.
All right. And that's going to do it here from us. Uh, I'll have to look at my schedule. I, I don't actually remember the next guest, so I'll figure it out. I'll let you guys know on social. I'll see you guys next week.